I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as slashers, witches, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. We're back, everybody, and with the Halloween episode on Halloween. Look at us go. We cheated, got the episode out a day early, if I did my job right, yeah. and uh, it's Halloween for you guys, so yeah. this should be fun. Yeah, if you did your job wrong, it'll be like the uh, the Halloween Horror Nights date. <laughs> <laughs> I was only late by one day, and I'm busy. True. Yeah. Again, I have to say, I don't see how you find time to do this with three kids and a, a real job. <laughs> no sleep. Oh, so it's Halloween for you guys. Well, if you're listening to this on release day, for us, we still got a couple weeks till Halloween. Yeah. Which plans, man, besides the big Halloween party? Well, right now it's still September for us, so it's Halloween Eve in our house. Um, of course, we're going to do Halloween Horror Nights, like I already brought up, and hope to do a little mini review after that. But uh, more recently, we actually took on more plans for we're going to go to Paranormal Cirque, which have you seen that? Uh-uh. It's a... Uh, it's a sideshow carnival act where they've got like, you know, fire eaters, magicians, uh, aerial acrobats, but it's all done with a horror twist. Sounds pretty badass. That also in Orlando? Um, no, that's here. Oh. Yeah. First time coming here. It's only, it's either their first or second tour, maybe from what I read. Don't hold me to that. But the wife found it and she's like, we got to go do this. And uh, we're actually going to the oddities market in Nashville and hope to find some weird, creepy decor to bring home. Nice. I'm, of course, going to go to your Halloween party, and we're going to try oh, to record yeah. some shit, right? We're going to see if we can get interesting horror stories or horror movie thoughts from people at the party. It might suck, and we might not keep any of it, but it could be fun. Yeah, we're at least going to try and see what happens. Got to take the little kiddos trick-or-treating. I don't know what the fuck they're going to be yet, but <laughs> I was trying to get my son to do something with me, but this year he's like, all on, I want to do Minecraft this or that, and uh, so I'll probably just be the shape again. Oh, <laughs> reliable. It's a good costume. It works for me. <laughs> Except for that time when two of y'all showed up to my party. <laughs> he was fucking Kmart shape, though. <laughs> he was Kmart shape. Friend of mine that I have known, shit, 15-ish years, maybe more. I don't feel like doing the math right now. And he knows I'm almost always the shape. And he shows up in a Halloween 2018 costume that he got at Party City. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the shirt looked like a tablecloth splattered in fake blood or pink blood. And I don't know what to say about the mask. And we have pictures side by side. And it's fucking hilarious because mine looks good and his looks like the Kmart one. Oh, his isn't that bad. But it was some funny shit to see both y'all at the party. He also showed up with the same kind of beer that I drink that I've never seen him drink. And then he fucking drank mine. <laughs> oh, Julio, if you're listening, fuck you. <laughs> Oh, it's Halloween, though. It's all in good fun. Yep, yep. But anyways, let's get back into the Halloween franchise with part three with the, uh, another timeline. Yeah. So this is what I call the H2O timeline. And so this one goes one, two, H2O, and that's it, right? That should be. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> Resurrection came out. We're going to have to go into that one, too. And at the end, we're going to do Season of the Witch because some people just always gloss over that one and... Well, it might not be a traditional Halloween franchise movie. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's in the fucking box set, so it gets covered by itself. This movie was not written or directed by uh, John Carpenter or Deborah Hill in any fucking way like some of the other ones. 
However, Steve Miner directed it from Friday the 13th 2 and 3, right? Yep. Apparently, he uh, had done some work with Jamie Lee Curtis, so she suggested him. It was actually originally written by Kevin Williamson of Scream fame. Yep. And he also did some touch-ups on the writing after Robert Zappio went in and actually rewrote it for the most part. I don't remember why they didn't stick with the Kevin Williamson script originally or yeah, I don't remember either, but it, he was a big part of it. Jamie Lee Curtis basically did this as a thank you to the fans for making her career. And she was very involved in the creation. Apparently, she helped with the wardrobe. She got people into the movie. She picked like Steve Miner. If you watch the behind the scenes, you find out she helped with like plot decisions and sometimes like camera angles and everything. Because, I mean, she was pretty fucking famous by this point in time in her career. Yeah. And if you think about it, it's kind of what she did with 2018 again. True. The writer originally started out with like a non Jamie Lee Curtis straight to video version of the movie. Like he, they asked him to make a Halloween movie. There hadn't been one made in forever. You know, he had these ideas. He met with Mustafa Akkad and uh, they decided that H six was a fucking mess and they were just going <laughs> to abandon the idea. And this movie would not be a sequel to that movie. So then Robert Zappia had this idea that was a great idea to him having a copycat killer hunting down people at an all girl school. That was copying Michael Myers. Ah, well, not following six was a good decision regardless. I don't know what was wrong with his initial script. It might've been because scream was already so famous and Jamie Lee Curtis ended up involved that they brought Kevin Williamson in to like do touch ups on the writing, which you can feel it through parts of the movie. Oh yeah, you can. But somehow the Weinstein brothers got Jamie Lee Curtis to get attached to it at that point. And they decided we'll make this a theatrical release. It's not going to be straight to video anymore. And this will be the 20th anniversary film. Hey, title tie-in. <laughs> H2O, 20 years later. They tried to get John Carpenter to direct the film, especially since it was going to be the 20th anniversary. But Mustafa Akkad refused to pay his asking price. I believe it was $10 million. But Jamie Lee Curtis had done a movie with Steve Miner, so she was able to get him attached. And uh, he basically did this alongside Lake Placid. Okay. He was supposed to start Lake Placid and it got delayed. I don't remember if it was weather or whatnot. So he started this one first. And then by the end of it, like reshoot time, he was doing Lake Placid and going back and forth between the sets. Gotcha. There's a, uh, have we had a mask gate on an episode yet where there are issues with, with, with the mask or is this like the main one? I think it's just this one. We hammered out the first two episodes back to back and then we're taking a break. So, um, <laughs> I know they tried to use the Halloween 6 mask at some point. They had Canby Studios make a mask, which I actually like, but it was like featureless. It was just white with almost no features in the face. Yeah. Is that the one that Nicotero actually molded himself to actually work on making that one? Yes. Okay. And it's because Steve Miner wanted a completely, like he wanted to be the shape, like he wanted a completely featureless mask. I think Mustafa hated it. Probably. He hates most of the mask. <laughs> Could have been... Harvey Weinstein, he actually, yeah. if you think about Scream and stuff, yep. he gets pissy about the mask, too. They had John Carl Buechler come in to make the mask, which he worked on previous Halloween movies, as well as, like, Friday the 13th movies, Ghoulie movies, Troll movies, fucking Reanimator. Dude did everything. <laughs> they didn't like his mask, and I think that was, like, a redone Halloween 6 mask. So then they got Stan Winston to come in and make a mask, and that's the one they end up using in the film, and okay. a shitty CGI mask. Yeah. Because they had to reshoot all of the K&B studio mass scenes because they had already shot a bunch of scenes. I'm assuming Steve Miner was hoping he could pull a Wes Craven, like with Scream, like, I already shot most of the movie. It looks cool. Keep it. They said, fuck it. 
So any of the far away scenes they had already shot where he's not up close, they just kept the K&B mask on. But there was one scene they couldn't reshoot. So they did the world's worst CGI I've ever fucking seen on top of his body to cover up the K&B mask. And you'll know it when you see it. Yeah, you'll never miss it again. Because that one, you're talking about the one that's actually not a close up, but it's like a three quarter shot fairly close up. Right, right. And we're talking about the mask. We forgot to talk about the shape. This is Chris Duran's first go with the shape. I'm actually a fan of him as the shape. And uh, to my understanding, he's unaccredited, played Ghostface in at least Scream 2, maybe more of the Scream oh, films. Oh, yeah. He's had experience playing a slasher in a film before. There's some other neat facts with the ending and the score and whatnot, but those are probably better to say for the end. So let's go ahead and hop right into the movie. All righty, Ro. We open up at Nurse Marion Chambers' house from the first two films. And she comes home, sig and mouth, just like every other time we've seen her. Smoking and, nurse. Yes. <laughs> and, we, and she finds the light on her porch smashed. She takes a peek inside. Here's something in the house and it's basically like, fuck this and runs next door to get the kids next door. Smart smoking nurse. <laughs> she runs into Jason fucking Voorhees. <laughs> it's not really Jason, but Steve Miner couldn't, you know, help himself but to put the mask that he started in the film, right? Yeah, no shit. But under it is a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Nurse Chambers lets him know what's going on. He takes her inside and calls the police. And the police are supposed to be on the way. But he grabs his hockey stick and he announces how much of a badass he is. Jimmy been suspended five times this year already for getting a little crazy with the stick, all right? He makes a sweep of the house and he finds her office just completely fucking thrashed. Even her uh, sweet Dr. Loomis memorabilia. <laughs> And he can't find anybody in the house, so he goes to the fridge and does what any teenage boy would do and steals all the beers out of there. And he accidentally smashes the shit out of her fucking kitchen with his uh, hockey stick because he hears something fall behind him. I think it's the ironing board or something. Something. And he just beats the shit out of her kitchen. And he goes outside and lets her know that her house is all clear. But whoever was in there really fucked up her office and her kitchen. <laughs> oh, yeah, and they stole all your beer. <laughs> That would have been two on the nose. He left that one out. <laughs> I know, right? But the uh, kids go back home to uh, drink their, their recently pilfered beer. And Nurse Chambers tries to get the power back on in her house. And uh, she decides to start checking shit out with the flashlight herself, I guess, to see if something's missing. And she finds the Lori Strode file open on the table. Dun, dun, dun. She's in this timeline. <laughs> and it's empty. And there's also uh, her smashed picture of Loomis. So whoever stole shit wasn't a fan. Mikey starts doing some fucky shit with the doors and popping up behind her and shit. She never realizes he's there. Yeah. And as she hears this, she gets scared, decides to get the fuck out and go next door back to the kids because I don't know what the fuck the kids are supposed to do. I guess they're badasses. I don't know. Safety in numbers, man. (laughs) And uh, they're found watching Plan 9 from outer space and dead as fuck. (laughs) The shape grabs a kitchen knife and he starts to chase her down to the house and she puts up a fight with a fire poker. And then some terrible cops show up next door. At least they're not making clown sounds and walking like a fucking penguin. They have literally no situational awareness. And Mikey has no chill because he just immediately fucking slits her throat and steals the car from the kid's house. Yeah. We then see two uh, detectives going through all the evidence at her house after, you know, everybody's finally made it there. Yeah. And they find all of Loomis's work and they figure out that he was trying to track the shape down this whole time. And they call Haddonfield to warn him because Mikey might be on the loose again. Interesting fact here. Apparently, there was a whole storyline with these two detectives tracking Michael down. Oh, really? Got cut. Oh, okay. There's some good banner between them, though, about like, oh, shouldn't uh, 
Shouldn't Michael Myers be walking around with a cane now? And the guy's like, hey, hey, I'm the same age as him. And it's funny because that's what we basically said when Halloween 2018 came out, right? Know, right? <laughs> well, this is 20 years before that. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, dude, we're getting old. So the 20th, as of last year, the 20th anniversary film was 20 years old. Yeah, yeah. That's why that was the 40th anniversary film. Yeah, yeah. But now we get the opening credits. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't get any cool black background with the orange letters and pumpkins and shit, but it's still pretty neat. The camera goes over all of Loomis's research as we hear um, a voiceover of Dr. Loomis, and it's actually performed by voice actor Tom Kane, who, uh, I mean, he's done so many fucking cartoons, like he's Magneto in every X-Men cartoon ever made. He's in Powerpuff Girls. I always know him for being Yoda and like the Admiral and shit in all the Star Wars cartoons. The dude's fucking famous as shit. Okay. I don't remember who he was friends with. I don't remember if it was the composer or what, but somebody's like, oh, I know somebody that can do Loomis's voice. And they're all proud of him, and he's a badass voice actor. However, I don't think it sounded that much like Loomis. <laughs> it's a very particular voice to try to mimic. Yeah, I don't know if you can mimic it. That's the thing. But we then cut to Summer Glen, California at Hillcrest Academy High School, and it's now October 31st, Halloween. The camera passed through an empty school, and we see a desk with the name plaque that says Headmistress Carrie Tate and a pick of Josh Hartnett on it, which this is his first film, right? Yeah. Like this and the faculty came out roughly the same time, yeah, but this is the, the first one. But we see some flashbacks of the first film, and then we see Lori Strode written out on the chalkboard, and then we cut to Jamie Lee Curtis waking up from a nightmare, and she's screaming like fucking crazy, and her son runs in to check on her. And uh, he runs to the medicine cabinet. And he's like, oh, get your medicine. And it's just fucking rows of pills. And it's because this movie, I mean, it does the PTSD thing, which makes sense plot wise. And yeah. she's an alcoholic and she has to take all this medication, has nightmares, which is funny because that's what they did in Halloween 2018 again. True. It makes the most sense, but this movie does not exist in that timeline. Coping mechanisms. What, drugs and booze? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, depression and suicide mechanisms. Yeah. Not that we're promoting that or anything. Just saying, like, she's her cheese has slid off her cracker a bit. We're, a little bit. We're making bit. that clear very early on. She hadn't started eating that yogurt yet to help her digestive tract. <laughs> that makes it all go away. But uh, we see their daily breakfast routine, and we find out that John comes from a broken home, and his mom's overprotective, and obviously she's afraid of fucking Halloween. Yeah, she is. So they found a way to not have to explain who the dad is, where he is, just said he's gone. Yeah. Where is he dead? Dun, dun, dun. No, he's alive. <laughs> no, he died in a car wreck. Wait. Wrong timeline. <laughs> Wrong fucking timeline. But their house is on campus, so John heads out and he meets up with his friends Charlie and Sarah. And I'm going to go ahead and say this now. Charlie was actually originally hired to be the killer of the movie. Okay. Oh, you didn't know that? No. So somebody's going to be hunting people down and killing them. And I never got confirmation from anywhere on if they were going to be in a shape costume or not. But you find out the whole time it's Charlie, the freaky friend, and he is a copycat killer. Okay. They decided not to go with that. And save it for screen four. Yeah. <laughs> I do believe in one of the documentaries I saw, I think that Michael Myers shows up because he's not happy that. He's being copied. Uh, so then you have Mikey coming in, hunting down the copycat and whoever's left. Like, motherfucker, let me show you OG. See, see, sorry. That's from watching the next film we're going to cover. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
honestly, I've heard so many different like, oh, Kevin Williamson wrote this, and then Zapier wrote this, and then Kevin Williamson came over it with this. I don't know what the fuck came from who or where. And then you also had the straight-to-video direct sequel to 6 version versus the 20th anniversary. Yeah. So who knows? So there's some crazy shit that could have happened. Thank God it didn't, because this is actually a pretty good sequel. Yeah, I just know he was the kid in uh, Jumanji. Oh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yep. But now that they've all met up, that he walked to class, and we see Lori looking out the window at him as they walk away, and she sees the shape's reflection behind her, and she closes her eyes and opens them, and he's gone. Yeah, yeah, just in her head. This will be a reoccurring theme throughout the movie, <laughs> henceforth. But right next to John, we're introduced to Molly, who's talking to the provost or something. I don't fucking know. She's having tuition troubles and she can't get any money to go on the camping trip. And the camping trip is what John was trying to get his mom to let him go and go on. When I said she was being overprotective and she was refusing to sign the permission slip for him. Yeah. Yosemite. So they're thinking like, Hey, how about the four of us ditch the Yosemite trip and have a fucking Halloween party on campus while there's nobody here. And I guess I should announce some of these people as they pop up. So John's Josh Hartnett, which, you know, fucking, we covered him in 30 days a night, and he's been in so much shit. Got the same hair in this and the faculty. Funny that you bring up the hair. It was going to come up later. So his hair is fucked up this whole movie, yeah. right? And uh, they were interviewing the guy that plays Charlie, and apparently they had, like, a whole hair crew that would, like, fucking do his hair and make him, like, perfect poster boy, you know, perfectly done hair and he had a beanie he'd carry in his back pocket if he could and he would put the beanie on for a while while they were practicing and take it off to shoot the scenes and if he didn't have the beanie he'd fuck his hair up with his hands real quick because he's like I just got out of high school recently and nobody's fucking hair looked like this when I was in school <laughs> so he fucked up his own hair to make it look more realistic and maybe that's what he did in the faculty I don't know okay the throw in the dice move it's all he had and no I still don't know why I dislike him he's not bad in this movie but I still you don't like Josh Hartnett? I don't, and like I said, when, when we were talking about him in 30 Days a Night, I don't, I got nothing against the guy. I just can't figure it out. Like, I guess like if I was going to bat for the other team, be like, not my type. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like him in this. I obviously liked him in 30 Days a Night. I think I liked him in the faculty. I haven't seen it in a long time. Eh. And lucky number 11 for the win. That one, I'll, that's, I think I said that the last time we talked about him. That one I can give you. I, we talk about fucking movies so much, like on here and not here that I can't fucking keep up with it. <laughs> we could have done this episode before. I wouldn't fucking know it, but we cut away from the campus and we see that we're at highway 139 in Northern California and a mother and daughter stop at a rest area to pee. And we see the stolen car from the beginning of the movie parts and the tires are fucking shredded off. And I'm going to be honest. I drive to visit my in-laws two, three times a year. It's a long trip. Every time I stop at a rest area, this scene Especially my wife and kids stay with the with the in-laws for an extra week or two, and I'm coming back by myself late at night, tired as fuck. And I'm like, ah, is Michael Myers in the stall? <laughs> Regular stall checks every time. But the lights are out in the bathroom, so the mom props the door open so they can get a little sunlight in there. That's a conveniently placed rock. Yep, yep. And uh, she takes her little daughter, and they sit side by side in stalls. I don't know if they're playing battle shits or what, but... <laughs> Do you want to play battle shits? <laughs> and... Uh, the door slams and it gets much darker in the room and the mother has her purse on the ground uh, with her keys in it and you see a hand just coming and fucking snatch the purse out. It's actually kind of disturbing because that shit's got to happen like in real life, right? Like oh, yeah. real shit's scarier than fake shit. But she looks at the gap in the uh, stall door and she sees the shape like walking past the mirrors leaving and uh, he takes her fucking ride. I mean, that's kind of his thing. I'm going to take your car. I got to go. Yeah. And it, maybe we can do this 
some other time, but just this whole bathroom scene, I'm just going to bring it up now. There's so many things that I realized not being a fan and a rewatcher of the franchise watching the 2018 uh-huh. where it's like, oh, this is pulling from here. This is pulling from there. And of course the bathroom scene at the mechanic shop, you can feel the dynamic they were pulling from, from here for and here. No, no, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Four. Yeah, because, you know, he's like in the mummy bandages and shit at the mechanic shop, plus yeah. you have the rest area. And if the timelines don't exist, it's not like you're you're rehashing some shit from a from a prequel, right? No, and that, and I'm okay with that. That feels more, they didn't take a scene and be like, hey, we're going to put this scene in here because it was in one of the movies. But they did little sprinklings that if you knew what to watch for, you would catch all that. And I didn't know what to watch for until I watched these. So that was, I did it backwards. That's right. I, that's how I do everything. Even math. <laughs> But if you think about it, though, they took some of the more memorable, iconic scenes, right? We head back to Hillcrest Academy, which is going to be our setting for most of the film. And we see Headmistress Carrie giving a speech to the student body about the Yosemite trip. And uh, we find out that the quartet has completely gotten themselves out of the trip with whatever bullshit story some of them had to come up with. We're introduced to some more of the faculty and staff at the school and possibly... The only other two besides the security guard we're going to see in a little bit. No shit, man. There's not many adults in this film. Skeleton fucking crew at this place. <laughs> Why is tuition so high, damn it? Yosemite trip. Uh, but we're introduced to Will Brennan, who's played by Adam Arkin. And we also see Carrie's secretary, Norma, played by Janet fucking Lee. And uh, she, she tells uh, Carrie that the, the shower drain is clogged again, right? So that's uh, very reminiscent of Psycho, since yep. that's what she's from, right? And uh, we also find out that Will and Carrie are fucking boning at this point. They just have like a teenage makeout session or off as soon as the door shuts. And we're now introduced to Ronnie, the security guard, played by fucking LL Cool J. And I will say this stunt casting, if it even was at the time, because I don't know how famous for acting he was yet, wasn't bad. He's good in the fucking movie. Yeah, usually a lot of his stuff he's pretty good. What's the what's the shark movie where he's the the Christian chef dude who's always cooking and praying? Right, I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name of Deep it. Deep Blue yeah. Sea. It might have been Deep Blue Sea. And I mean, he's got his own fucking NCIS show, and you know, there's what movie was it where he's fucking Robin Williams like stepbrother, foster brother, and it's like the toy store place. You know what I'm fucking talking about? That sounds vaguely familiar. But it, there was this time in in movies where it was like you kept seeing LL Cool J and uh, Ice T. <laughs> you still see Ice T. I know. Well, and they both went on to cop dramas. Yeah, you, you're right. <laughs> but as we're introduced to his character, we find out that he's trying to be an author and he's writing like this romance novel. And every time you see him, just about he's reading it to his wife on the phone and she's either shitting on it or getting way fucking into it. And it's fucking hilarious every time. And he said there's some parallels to like his life, like doing that because, you know, he was like the rapper and now he's trying to get into acting and this and that. And yeah. you can see that. But as he reads his wife uh, this section of his book, we find out that she is not a fan of his description of breast. Round melon? What? Now why do you want to label it like food? And what kind of melon are you talking about? Cantaloupe? Watermelon? What? She also lets him know what she thinks about his writing career. Ronnie, it's unrealistic. This whole writing career is unrealistic. What's funny, that's the same thing I hear from my wife about this podcast. <laughs> we see John and Charlie pop up. It might be a jump scare. I don't even fucking remember. At least to Ronnie. <laughs> and uh, they're trying to talk him into letting him off campus. And he doesn't want John's mom to fire him for it, right? And his fucking wife's like, you better not get your ass fired. You can hear in the background on the phone. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and they're like, well, what if you accidentally turned around and bumped the switch? And we snuck out while you weren't looking. 
and his wife yelling at him is what makes him say, fuck it, I'm going to let the guys out, right? And uh, he yells and comb your hair when he walks off, and apparently that was completely improv. <laughs> okay. Because like he would watch them do uh, Josh Hartnett's hair, and then watch him just fuck it up immediately, right, as they said action. So he gave him shit for it. So Josh Hartnett's version of the story was he was very nervous because he was a fan of LL Cool J. Oh, really? And he hadn't acted before. If you think about it, like he had maybe done little bit parts. This is his first movie. Yeah. And uh, LL Cool J hadn't acted a whole lot yet either. And he said they were not stiff like in a bad way, but they weren't. They hadn't clicked yet. They were just two dudes doing a scene together. And in between scenes, he told them, uh, you know, how, how big of a fan he was. And they like this album and this song and blah, blah, blah. And they start cracking jokes. And then, when they start, and then they shot the scene immediately afterwards. Uh, and he had like warmed up to him. And like he knew that they had warmed up to each other when he made the hair joke to him. Okay. So, and he's like, we were cool and fucking around for the rest of the thing. Because if you watch the, I can't think, of, it's on YouTube. There's the H2O documentary. Yeah. And um, Josh Hartnett, like, he's pretty chill through the whole thing. He's talking about how he got to hang out with Jamie Lee Curtis and do all this. Because it's a pretty cool gig for a first movie. Yeah. How would that go? It's like, I'm trying to put myself in those shoes. Like, do I call you Mr. J? Mr. Cool? Mr. LL? <laughs> yeah, he said somehow he bounced between LL Cool J and I can't remember what his real name is. Oh, yeah. Hey, was he the one that had that video that was on MTV where he's doing the, I'm going to knock you out with all the, the deodorant dingleberries? <laughs> I remember shitting pictures and I just always remember the hand in the air and like, at least we know he used deodorant, but goddamn. He did have Mama said knock you out, and he did punch up in the air. I don't remember the fucking armpit dingleberries. <laughs> Citation needed. If I remember correctly, I think he had already got the job for the faculty, which is a dimension picture as well. Yeah. And they called him, and he's afraid he didn't have the job anymore. And it, it might have been the Weinsteins, actually. I don't remember, but somebody, you know, high up. And they're like, we're working on another movie that we want you for. And he's like, I still get to do this one, too, right? <laughs> and that's why he ended up doing both movies. But he he got the role for faculty, and they're like, we're going to use this guy. Okay. For fucking H2O. There you go. So he made an impression, apparently. Josh didn't like him, but everybody else did. I don't dislike him. <laughs> <laughs> um. Carrie, Lori, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to call her. We're going to bounce in here, but just try to keep up. But she's out shopping, and uh, we see that she's easily startled and uh, bothered by the holiday because everything fucking Halloween's annoying her, uh, which kind of what happens to me when we get to uh, the next film. But once again, she sees the shape's reflection in some glass behind her, and she closes her eyes and turns around, and it's Will. It's not actually fucking Mikey. They're supposed to have a lunch date, and they go into a bar, and she's like real distracted, and he doesn't really know what's going on. And she says it's just because she's worried that she's losing John. Um, she also says, like, I have a backstory that I haven't told you yet. He seems cool with it without her explaining, which I would either fucking bailed or wanted to know more, I think. <laughs> and uh, he goes to the can. She orders another glass of wine, and the waiter looks at her funny because she hasn't touched the one she has now. And she's like, come back with it quick. And as he brings it, she chugs the first one and swaps. So that way it looks like she hasn't drinking yet. Yeah. Drinking problem. <laughs> Uh, we see that John and Charlie are in obviously the same town and they're trying to steal some booze and they end up getting busted by his mom. She asks him what the fuck he's doing. Mom, I'm really uncomfortable with you saying that. Well, word. then don't put me in the position, John. She tells him not to fuck with her on this thing and uh, he tells him <laughs> it's over. Michael Myers is dead. It's been 20 years since you saw him burn and uh, she makes him get in the fucking car and drives him back to school. So apparently her son knows the whole fucking story. Yeah. I wonder if, like, you know, she was training them to shoot squirrels and booby trap the house <laughs> and shoot mannequins and shit. 
But as they pull up to the gate, they wait on Ronnie to open it because he's missing. <laughs> and when they get him, he lets him in. And we see Mikey drive by in the background, just like in the first one. And uh, he gets a fucking lecture for letting him out, just like you knew he would. At least he didn't get fired. Yeah. Well, have you seen how understaffed the school is? <laughs> yeah, it's like four of them. <laughs> um, but we cut to Molly, and she's in the school kitchen, which is tiny. I just want to say this, because it's a school kitchen. I work at a school. Yeah. Kitchens are bigger than this. Yeah, I've seen apartments with kitchens bigger than this. And this is a boarding school. Once again, where's all that tuition money going? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's because it's the holiday and they're all going on a camping trip. So there's no teachers left. So we just didn't see them before they departed. Servant's kitchen. That's what it is. They would have a servant's kitchen that's separate from the big fancy kitchen that the rich ah. people pretend to cook in. So guests don't have to be bothered by hearing and seeing the help cook. Gotcha. This is like a ritzy fucking boarding school. I gotcha. Yep. That also makes sense later in the movie how they're kind of like tucked out of the way. Yep. But uh, as she finishes the dishes to go to class, we we hear the dumb waiter come down. She opens it up and it has some flowers. Where the fuck did he get the flowers? Were they it, to a good mum? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But you know, his mom grabbed him, threw him in the fucking car. You think he was like, hey, you think we could stop and get my girlfriend some flowers? <laughs> Gee golly, mom. You're already ruining my life. Can I at least get laid? Right, right. But there's a like a Halloween invitation that's hand-drawn with a map on it. She follows it through this creepy basement to let us know that we're going to be in a secluded area for part of the movie. <laughs> and uh, she gets a jump scare by John and sees where he set their Halloween party up, right? And he says that he never got to celebrate Halloween. And she asks him why. And uh, it's not because he didn't like candy. Oh, we've got a psychotic serial killer in the family who loves to butcher people on Halloween and... I just thought it in bad taste to celebrate. We see the kids on a normal school day, but we get an homage to the original with Molly spacing out in class, looking out the window and seeing the shape outside. She gives her thoughts on Victor Frankenstein versus Frankenstein's monster, and it parallels her story. But she's called on just like Lori was in the first one, and she immediately gives a response to the teacher, who is Lori in this case, question about... Dr. Frankenstein versus his monster. And you can see Lori like really listening to what she's saying and realizing how it kind of parallels her story. Cause she's saying something like how he should have known and he should have stopped the monster sooner and this and that. And she's like, I should have stopped the monster sooner. Uh. But class is over and to make amends, Carrie has signed the permission slip for John to go to Yosemite. However, he's got a Halloween party to go to now. Yep. So he accepts it, thanks his mom, and lets his girlfriend and friends know that she thinks he's going to be gone. It's easier to party, right? But you see the look on her face as she gives him the permission slip and he leaves faking like he's excited. And uh, she looks like she regrets it like a college girl on a casting couch. <laughs> but we cut to all the school buses leaving and we see Carrie watching and she looks sad again because her baby's leaving. And then she's scared by fucking Norma. Who gives her the, it's Halloween, everybody's entitled to a good scare speech. And she's like, if I can, can I give you some motherly advice? Which is <laughs> fucking fantastic. That's her mom. And uh, did you notice the score? Yes. Yeah. It, they, he's like, I want it to sound like Psycho. So, I mean, they didn't rip it off, but he used like the same kind of strings and, and frantic play style. And uh, she gets into the fucking Psycho car, which is badass. Yeah. They, uh, not only did they nail the car, but it's got the, uh, the same license plate. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yep, yep. I bet a lot of things have been nailed in the back of that car, though. Hey, we cut to that night, and uh, we see Ronnie reading his novel to his wife again, and the old truck pulls up to the gate that we saw the shape still earlier, and uh, Ronnie's like, what the fuck's going on? 
opens the gate, goes to check it out. I'm like, please don't kill Ronnie yet. Please don't kill Ronnie yet. <laughs> and uh, he finds the truck empty. It's really cool, though, is as he looks into the truck, the shape just pops up behind him and sneaks right past him and um, stalks about all creepy looking at him through the fucking bushes. But we quickly see that the entire campus is fucking empty. Skeleton crew's gone, man. <laughs> and uh, Carrie's packing her shit up to go to her house, and she sees Mikey coming, and she just keeps closing her eyes because she's outside an alley. She's closing them and opening them, closing them and opening them, and he won't fucking go away. And uh, finally, when she opens her eyes, we get a jump scare, and it's Will again, yep. right? So, like, I don't know why she mistakes Will for her brother a lot. It's kind of creepy on many levels. Oh, you just went there. I did. <laughs> First casting couch, now this. <laughs> but Will lets Carrie know that he wants to spend the night with her, but she starts to head back to her house, and Will actually sees Mikey in his peripheral. I mean, he doesn't know it's Mikey, he just sees somebody walk by, and he walks over like he's going to check on it, but then it cuts to another scene with him, and you don't know what he finds. It's not like the, uh, hello, Lori, somebody <laughs> wants to talk with you. Like, that, that doesn't happen. He just leaves and doesn't die. But when you would expect him to get ganked, he ends up popping up at uh, Molly and Sarah's room, and they're watching Scream 2, which... Kevin Williamson, da da, and it's a dimension film, so they have the rights to it. Yeah, and uh, they tell him about their date rape plans they have for the night, and ask if he wants to go, and he says he's too busy getting his nipples pierced, so he can't participate. Yeah, he's trying to be cool, but that that's cringy, man. <laughs> oh, I thought the whole scene was fucking hilarious. It is, but the when we get to the nipple part, it's cringy. <laughs> he's one of the few people I could see delivering the line. Yeah. But we see the quartet as they sneak into the building where their party is, which I have no fucking clue what it's going to be, but it has like a creepy fucking boiler room basement vibe to it. Yeah. And uh, John's a bit jumpy and he thinks he hears something down there. Probably fucking does. But we cut to Lori's house and uh, we see she can chug the shit out of some vodka and Will shows up with a jack-o'-lantern. To me, this kind of made me think of her babysitting Tommy and showing up with the pumpkin. Oh, okay. And stuff like that. I figured she'd get a little pissy about it, but she fucking hates Halloween. Doesn't he know this shit? But they start making out on the couch, which is kind of weird. It's like watching your parents make out, yeah. right? And she lets Will know that she's Lori Strode and what happened to her. Talk about having some fucking baggage. <laughs> some interesting shit to find out from your girlfriend, right? But uh, he thinks she's fucking with him until she explains that she had to fake her own death and get a new identity. That's all it takes. <laughs> that easy, huh? She realizes that John's the same age she was when her brother came for her. Which I don't know in which movie, because did he technically come for her in the first one? He, he kind of was just wiping out yeah. the whole street, you know what I mean? But yeah, she looks up mid-sentence, and we see the the birthday card with the big 17 on the front of it sitting on the mantle. Right, it's like, the oh, one, fuck. The one that her, his father sent to him uh, two months later. <laughs> yeah. Talk about an absentee father. But as she freaks out, she decides to grab the phone and call and check on the kids at the camping trip. And her phone lines are dead because Mikey still knows how to cut phone lines. <laughs> she decides to go and check John's room and she realizes that he's not on the fucking trip because all of his shit's there because he's a fucking amateur and doesn't know how to sneak out. If your mom was that fucking paranoid, wouldn't you like at least do something, take a bag or something? I would have run away. <laughs> shit. <laughs> she grabs her gun though and uh, runs into Ronnie outside and she's like, we got to find him. Nobody questions the fucking pistol in her hand though. <laughs> We cut to the basement where the quartet's prepping their food and getting ready for the party. And we've basically, if I remember correctly, we're pretty much hitting the final act here. And it's just going to whoosh, right yeah. through the movie. Charlie heads off alone and doesn't come back. So Sarah goes looking for him. And just like every Halloween movie, she's fucking scared by her boyfriend. It's fucking spits <laughs> all over again. And he has some wine glasses and he wants to party alone with her. 
But they separate again for some reason, and he goes to get the corkscrew by himself to open the wine bottle, and he drops it in the garbage disposal. <laughs> and uh, while reaching for it, we see the shape walk in a frame behind him. And the scene really builds a lot of tension because you're like, he's going to turn the switch on. Yep, he's going to turn the switch on. And this is the first part in the movie where it really, it, like you said, it's taking the turn into the third act. But a lot of it is fans. We've joked about it up till now because there's not a lot of tension. It's just like, oh, there he is. Oh, that's going to happen. But by the time we get here, it's like, oh, shit, I'm watching a Halloween movie. <laughs> right. But at least in those previous tension scenes, this dude had a good walk about him. I'm not saying it's like Nick Hill, but he looked creepy as fuck when he just like dart across, you know. Yeah, yeah. I like background shots like that, especially in these kind of movies. Yeah. But as we wait for the fucking money shot for the garbage disposal to turn on, it never happens. Charlie gets the corkscrew out. He stands up. He turns around and he's terrified by the worst fucking CGI mask you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> It's really fucking laughable how bad it is. Just look it up if you've never seen it. Yeah, it's bad. It looks like it's under like black light too. It's just, yeah. it's so weird. <laughs> um, but we cut back to Sarah and she's sick of waiting on Charlie. So she goes looking for him again. And then she realizes she's trapped in the dark and doesn't know where the fuck to go. Uh, she tries to use the dumb waiter to escape because the doors are locked and finds Charlie's body in there. She hears Mikey coming. And she's like, fuck it, I'm riding down on this body. Dude said it was so hard to film that scene because he had to keep his eyes open for two minutes without making a face. <laughs> and uh, Mikey manages to get a slash off in her leg before it goes down. But as she's trying to crawl out of the dumbwaiter, Mikey fucking cuts the rope from up top and it makes it slam down and it fucking cracks the bone out of her leg. It's pretty badass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but she's like on the floor crawling. Like Josh said, there's always a girl crawling on the floor, but instead of him coming behind her this time, he comes in front of her. Yep. She has nowhere to go. She's like, ah, and she tries to turn around. And, uh, <laughs> apparently when they're filming the scene, she fucking cut her leg. And when they wrapped for the night, she changed all of her clothes, but she didn't wash up. And she went back to the hotel and the girl at the front desk, I looked at her like, Oh fuck. And, uh, <laughs> And she's like, oh, no, 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 it's makeup, it's makeup, and fake blood in my hair. I'm sorry I hadn't taken a shower yet. And she's like, no, honey, look at your leg. And there was just <laughs> blood fucking seeping into her jeans. Oh, wow. she'd cut her fucking leg open. On, I don't know what the fuck. Maybe the goddamn corkscrew, corkscrew is still on the ground. So another story where a cast member of a Halloween film has to go for a tetanus shot. <laughs> Probably. I love how many times you hear while filming a horror movie that somebody got pulled over or had to go to the grocery store or something covered in fucking gore. <laughs> I know, right? But John and Molly realize that Charlie and Sarah are missing, and they go to look for him and find a pool of blood that goes to the dumbwaiter, and they're like, uh-uh, fuck that, and see another one that goes to the storage closet. They decide to go with door number two, and inside the closet, you find Sarah strung up on the fucking light. It looks kind of badass. And uh, Mikey appears and does the fucking head tilt thing. But they make a run for it and get outside and Mikey grabs Molly and John starts to beat the shit out of him until he drops her. And then he's fucking straight up stabs John in the leg. But that gives Molly time to smash him in the head with a fucking rock. And they try to make a run for it again. They make it to the dorms and unlock the outer gate. But as they close the outer gate to get to the inner door, Molly accidentally drops the keys on the outside. And this scene is fucking awesome. I don't remember seeing anything like this up until this point. Yeah, this scene was cool. And uh, they got the gate closed and it's locked and John's trying to get the front door open. But Mikey's like stabs through the gate with the knife and he's just slashing at him, but he's just out of reach. And they're like pushed back against the wall like, oh, fuck. And then he realizes the keys are on the ground. No keys. Because <laughs> it feels like a monster movie, like in a cave and you get into that hole and there's the one thing trying to get to you. It, it does that whole thing. But I love how 
in this movie, this is a good scene to talk about it. It's like, you can see that, that Michael Myers is reasoning. Right. <laughs> and it's okay. Honestly, when this movie came out, I'm like, all right, first one and this one, I get it. Like, this one feels like the first one. And it doesn't have any fucking, as neat as the thorn stuff is in its own vacuum, it doesn't have any of that fucking bullshit. We still have them as brother and sister. Okay, okay. But like, I mean, at the time, these were my favorite two. And honestly, this is two of my favorite three Halloween movies is part one and and this one, man. Like, it's just, it's got that tension. It's got the not over the top gore on the kill scenes. And it's just, it's fucking creepy and down its roots. And it's got Jamie Lee Curtis. That's always key other than the second one. It's not key there. There's no key there. No keys. <laughs> but Will and Carrie end up opening the door at the last second as Mikey's getting his door open and let him in. And Lori slams the door shut. And we get this really cool scene where Mikey and Lori are face to face with like a pane of glass in between them. Fucking looks awesome. I think it's one of the more iconic scenes from the franchise. And revisited in 2018. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Maybe it's not as good of a movie as I thought. <laughs> 2018, that is. I fucking love it, but it's just a bunch of shit from this movie. <laughs> oh. Josh just fucking basically took a shit in my Count Chocula. It's bullshit. <laughs> you think this is a shit? Wait till the next movie. No, we're in agreement there. <laughs> when Chun Li couldn't save that shit. This is going to be Poltergeist 2, 3, and Reanimator 3 all rolled into one. <laughs> Lori gets her gun out. Not quite so quick this time. And of course, Mikey's fucking vanished. They get the kids upstairs, and Will's dumbass wants to know who that was. Lori gives a fucking awesome, go in there and lock the door and do as I say speech, just like in the fucking first one to the kids. I like homages. They're, they're fucking good if they're not done cheesy. And uh, her and Will go to find Mikey, because apparently he's a badass. I'm hedging my bets for uh, Lori on this one. <laughs> um, Will sees a shadow of a man and takes her gun from her and starts fucking shooting and it's Ronnie. He survived the shape. The shape let him go. The shape's like, this dude's cool. He's writing a book. I want to hear how it ends. I'm not going to kill him at the gate. I'm just going to sneak past him. Will fucking shot his ass. So they think he's dead. And then Mikey pops up from behind and he does the fucking awesome stab in the back and lift off the, the ground. Like, uh, was that, which one was that? The, the one I two? like the most is in two, but it, it's yeah, one of his go-to moves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, homage again. But he fucking... Lifts Will all the way off the ground with the knife, takes his ass out. He's dead. We're losing people fast at this point. Bye, Will. Lori runs and finds the door so she can get out of there, even though it's her her own fucking house, I think. And she opens it, and it's a closet. Oh, fuck. Mikey comes running around the corner, opens the closet, because there's a bloody handprint on it to trick him, and he finds it empty. I think this happened in 2018 roughly, too, right? Yes. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) The fuck was Danny McBride and David Gordon Green doing? Watching Halloween movies and writing shit down. (laughs) But Lori smashes Mikey in the head with a fire extinguisher. And then she runs and gets John and Molly to get him out of there. I will say Chris Duran does the like fucking sit up and turn his head. Yeah. yeah. Nick did in the first one. He's the closest we got to Nick Castle. Yeah. That bit was good. Fucking Nasratu. The abs on these guys, man. (laughs) They're not round like us. But they make it outside and Lori gets him to the gate in her car and she just fucking lets him out. She tells him to go down to the Becker's house and call for help, which is fucking awesome because in Halloween, you have go down to the McKenzie's. Yeah. In Scream, Casey Becker's family says go down to the McKenzie's 
as an homage to fucking Halloween. So now they're doing the Beckers as an homage back to Scream. Yeah, that's great. I don't know if Kevin did it or fucking Zappy. Somebody did it. It was awesome. Shit came full circle. Kevin. We're going to go with Kevin. <laughs> Lori's making it out of this movie and fucking Kevin put in all the Scream references. I'm saying it right now. But Lori heads back inside with a fucking fire axe ready to kill her brother. And he does this cool fucking drop down from the ceiling one-handed thing. And he slices her arm like in the first one, like he misses her. But it's more convincing this time. It doesn't look like, mm, let me see if I can mm, get your arm right there. Mm. But she runs into the cafeteria and she hides under a table. And she thinks the coast is clear. And as she starts to peek out, we realize that the shape standing on top of the fucking table looking at her. And uh, he starts fucking slashing down at her. And she starts crawling around under the tables. So he gets sick of her fucking shit, and he just starts fucking flipping the tables over, one in each hand as he walks down the hall. One of my favorite fucking shape scenes out of all the Halloween movies. It looks badass, and they were supposed to do it in Halloween 4, four. at the school, and they ended up not using it, and I guess Mustafa pulled it back for this one. Maybe these guys were watching old Halloween movies. I think they all were. Um, funny story, though. Apparently, they were doing like a, a, a reading at the table with the producers, directors, writers, actors, and Chris Duran was sitting in there and they were going over part of the script where Michael Myers pulled a gun out and he used a pistol in part of the movie. And Mustafa Khan's like, no, no, Michael <laughs> Myers does not use fucking guns. Unless it's to impale someone into a wall. Right. That was a technicality. He used it as a stabbing implement at that point. <laughs> a melee weapon only. Correct. <laughs> on the day that they were filming this cafeteria scene, Mustafa was on set and they're like, Chris, Chris, here, take this prop gun put it in your back pocket and pull it out. So he pops up on the table and he starts looking around and he looks back and forth and he chunks the knife across the room and he pulls the pistol out, holds it up and fucking cocks the hammer back. And like apparently Mustafa's face was like, what the fuck? And then they just all busted out laughing. But Chris Duran said the pause was a little too uncomfortable because he's like, holy shit, I just got fucking fired. Because <laughs> they made him do it, you know, and he's just the stunt guy. Is there any footage of this or just? No, it's just Chris Duran telling the story. Uh, I could picture it though. It'd be fucking hilarious. Because when you think of that scene, just imagine him chunking the knife over his shoulder and pulling a pistol on a guy. In the I know, right? And then a cod is like off to the side like, <laughs> who am I firing for this? <laughs> fucking Weinsteins. <laughs> Get me Dino back. Fuck y'all. Mm-mm. <laughs> But she eventually gets some of the flags she pulls off the wall and fucking impales them with it. That shit's not safe for schools. And uh, she runs into the kitchen and she gets a drawer of knives and starts fucking chunking the knives at him as he comes one by one. They all miss, but he does this cool stab move at her. She fucking blocks the knife with the with the drawer and it pops through right beside her head. Yeah. She has to use it for a shield again. Like I said, lots of cool like fucking scenes like that in this movie. She fucking chunks it, runs off again, and then ambushes him in the hallway by stabbing him. Over and over again. And so it goes over the balcony on the table. And apparently it was, I think the stunt woman had been Lori before, or she was at least stunt coordinators on, on some of the other ones. I think, I mean, don't quote me on that, but I, I think I remember seeing her on multiple documentaries. Some affiliation. Like, uh, there's one scene where she locked the car's brakes up going out the gate. She actually shattered her ankle because what the fuck are analog brakes? Oh. She didn't know about him and it fucking resisted when she was trying to drive it. So she had some interesting stunt stories. But on this scene, that window, I mean, it was an actual window on a balcony. It wasn't like a set that was built and it was narrow as fuck. And the stunt woman had to just go in there and keep fucking stabbing Chris Durand while he ran backwards through it and flipped himself over a balcony. 
and he actually fell on a table. They didn't have a mat. He had to like stunt fall and land on a fucking table and smash it. And she's like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and he made it through the fucking window and fell. Stunt people, I don't know if they're the bravest, smartest, or fucking dumbest people that I've ever seen on television. <laughs> but what they do is awesome. They, uh, they are a special kind of adrenaline junkie. <laughs> <laughs> but Lori looks over the ledge. And unlike the original, his body's actually still there this time. I shot him six times. Seven. Who's counting, right? Six. Who knows? We'll just retcon some shit. But she runs downstairs and drops the knife next to him, giving him a weapon. Nope. Nope. She fucking goes to town and starts to stab the shit out of him with the knife. And we see that Ronnie's still alive because he runs up and stops her. He thinks she's crazy. He just don't want to get fired. Yeah. No kidding. We find out that the bullet grazed Ronnie's head and he lived and Molly and John are okay. And uh, Lori wants to fucking end this now. She grabs her fucking fire axe as they're loading Mikey into the coroner's van. She takes a cop's gun, hijacks the fucking van, takes off driving. As she's driving, she sees the uh, body bag come to life in the mirror and start trying to unzip. And the sh- as the shape comes out, she locks up the brakes and throws them out the fucking front window. She waits for him to get up. I think she's even like, get up. I think get up, so. Right? And... Um, Rams the fucking van into him, pinning him into a tree as they like roll down a hill straight in a fucking tree and slam him in there. She runs up to him. She calls his name. You can see his eyes this whole time. And they look odd and kind of scared and terrified, which I thought was neat on first watch. Like he's like, oh shit, my sister's fucking gone crazy, right? <laughs> like I thought it was really neat seeing that. And he reaches for her like he cares about her. And she reaches out for his hand like she's going to hold it. And then she fucking draws that axe back chops his fucking head off with the axe we get the original sting from the score the end the credits roll it's the end of the fucking movie but he also does the pawing at the mask thing it does look odd like in hindsight now here at the end we have a couple of possible forks that could happen because there's a couple different versions of the movie they're cut slightly different you have like the tv versions and i don't i don't know what versions lie where this isn't as cut and dry as is six where there's a theatrical cut and a producer's cut yeah but the weinsteins steve Miner, and jamie lee curtis wanted the shape to fucking die no questions asked if he could make it in the franchise right now it's one of the few things i'll fucking admire the weinsteins for i guess <laughs> it would have been cool that would have been a great ending in the franchise However, Mustafa Akkad wanted him to survive so he could make more movies. Yep. And basically the movie went on a standstill. They couldn't finish the end. Like I saw Chris Durand being interviewed by it. He's like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. I'm sitting here. And Kevin Williamson had to go and meet with everyone. And he talked him into doing an ending that went both ways. Yeah. In an interview with Malik Akkad, Mustafa's son, he said that would have been the right ending. Yeah. So it was nice to see Malik say that. But Mustafa made them film a scene with Mikey walking off through the gate in a paramedic costume with his knife still into the woods so that you're like, oh, he's still alive. What the fuck happened? Yeah. And this pops up. I think they reuse that footage for the next movie. They do. Because the opening scene of eight or resurrection or whatever the fuck was actually they filmed like a week or two after this. But we'll get into that when we get to the next movie. So that was kind of out of place. And like Josh said earlier, you, you had this awkward. I couldn't remember. If, I didn't bring it up because I couldn't remember if it was in the normal original ending but uh yeah you get this awkward pawing at the mask from michael like i need to take it off i need to take it off which is kind of weird and really i don't want to get into that too much we'll save that for the next movie the other odd thing about this movie was the score john ottman did the original score and it was a great score for an action movie or a superhero movie (laughs) like he normally does but it didn't fucking fit the movie while he was scoring the film 
they had a temp score that mainly used like old John Carpenter shit and stuff like that and shit they threw together that sounded in vain of that. And they just threw that on there to screen the movie. And then when people saw the movie with the actual score, it just didn't fucking fit and they hated it. <laughs> so then they had, uh, I hope I don't butcher his name. They had Marco Beltrami come in who did the screen movie scores and uh, he cleaned it up and used a bunch of old John Carpenter stuff. Okay. But when they screened the movie to people originally, it had a temp score they had thrown together that had your more traditional Halloween shit thrown together real quick. And when people heard the movie with the actual score, they fucking hated it. Uh. But when they're editing the movie at the very end, they had to cut 17 frames out of the footage because they wanted the ending to sync perfectly with the original Halloween theme. Oh, the editor keeps the 17 frames in his wallet. Well, I, I say to this day, but at least up until the documentary was made five years ago. Okay. Like he actually pulls them out of his wallet. And he's like, look, here they are. Cause he's <laughs> like, hold on, edit, click, click. I fucking got it. <laughs> all in all, before we get into the next one, I, I think I got ahead of myself earlier, but at this point in the franchise, this was my second favorite Halloween movie. Yeah. Not uh we've talked about before. It's not my bag, but coming off a of six, which I kind of dumped on, um, felt much better it felt much more modern i was okay with the 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 way they what they skipped and how they did the continuation of the story um i was okay with the ending but i think isn't this this is after supposedly jason's dead supposedly freddy's dead we, we really thought that we were killing off the big three right and we didn't kill off any of them and honestly <laughs> it was a very fulfilling ending to to the shape yeah he died to jamie the way he needed to. And it was actually pretty fucking brutal how she got him. She fucking axe murdered him. Yeah. He wasn't fucking burned and blown up again. And this one, honestly, it felt a lot like the first one. To, like, certain, to a certain extent. Like I, a modernized version. Yes. Like the, the vibe of it. The vibe was closer in this one than any of the other ones. And a lot of it has to do with that shape. You have to have a good shape. <laughs> and you don't have to say in a vacuum with this one. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I say in a vacuum, I'm being polite. <laughs> But nobody can be polite about our next film, the eighth and final film in this timeline of the franchise, 2002's Halloween Resurrection. Some things should be left dead. But with the success of H2O, like wild success, I mean, I think it made like 80-something million. I didn't actually look at the money on that one. Yeah, and it was another low, don't hold me to this, but I think it was like 15 or 17 was the budget. Probably. Um, and my numbers could be all over the place, but anyways, it made bank enough bank to turn around and give us this in 2002. Um, this, yes, we'll call it. Yeah, this. we're going to call it this. Um, Rick Rosenthal was back to direct, you know, going all the way back to two. So that's kind of cool. Um, written is by, it, is it though? Let's keep going. <laughs> it was written by Larry Brand and Sean Hood. Um, one or both of them wrote the crow Four. Oh, which one was that? The one with uh, Edward Furlong? Yes. <sighs> so we had already gone to dog shit before for. Um, they weren't good after the first one. The we, second one was palatable at least, but. Is that blue song? <laughs> shit. <laughs> but uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is back, kind of. We got Busta Rhymes as Freddie. We've got Bianca Kajalik as Sarah. Sorry if I butchered that. Uh, Daisy McCracken as Donna. KT Sackoff, who plays Jen, um, who's, she's the one out of this that's actually been in a bunch of other stuff. Well, yeah, she's, she's fucking, uh, Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica. I think I said that, ooh, Battlestar Galactica is getting rebooted yet again. And Sam <laughs> Eshmael, who did Mr. Robot's fucking running it. Okay. It's going to be badass. 
Anyways, yeah, she was Starbuck in uh, <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. I think we talked about it on the last episode. We may have, but uh, they thought so highly of her that they misspelled her name in the credits. And I think it's the opening credits, not <laughs> the ending credits. Uh, she wasn't famous yet, I don't think, but I mean, still, you should how does get she, the names right. Just Yeah, just that right there should tell you how much attention to detail was paid in this fucking movie. Was Busta Rhymes spelled right? Yeah, and you know what? Missed opportunity. They could have just said Freddy with a Y because they threw everything but the kitchen sink in this fucking movie. Anyways, <laughs> uh, we got Sean Patrick Thomas as Rudy. He's pretty good. Um, he's probably been in a bunch of other shit too, and I just didn't look him up. He has. Uh, Thomas Ian Nicholas as Bill from American Pie. Yep. And other stuff. <laughs> um, and then uh, Brad Lurie, Lurie, however you say it, as a dude wearing a Michael Myers mask because I'm not going to call him the shape. And uh, yeah, he's not a good one. <laughs> So they wanted Chris Duran to do it again, and he was pumped. He wanted to fucking do it. He loved doing it the last time. I loved him doing it the last time. However, this film was made in Canada, and there are rules when making a movie in Canada. Non-all essential employees have to be Canadian. Ah. And since he wasn't a star or an actor or the director or the writer, he was just a stunt coordinator. Uh, They couldn't have him. Okay. I'm sure he's glad not to be attached to this piece of fucking shit. <laughs> so uh, we get the theme over the opening credits, which hadn't been done directly in a while in the franchise. Right. So that was cool. The, that's where the cool ends. And we, <laughs> uh, we get a shot going down a hallway towards the door. And over that, we hear a narration talking about the tunnel with a door at the end. And it could lead to heaven or hell. And as we go to the door that's in the shot, we reveal uh, Annabelle. No, it's just Raggedy Ann doll. I thought it was going to be a pale white horse. And it's the Raggedy Ann doll from like in the first movie. Right, right. And I'm going to really be pissed off if I start noticing stuff as we're going through this one. Like, oh, there's callbacks all over this. Honestly, the opening scene, other than the very, very end of it, wasn't that bad. So Probably the best part of the movie. So once Lori's gone, we just Well, we as just she stop. dies. Yeah, we yeah. just we just hit stop and we don't go anymore. Um, or we could have just not made it. But <laughs> we could we just could have stopped and she cut his fucking head off. But we reveal Lori there on the bed, and in the hallway, we see one nurse tell another nurse about the confusion that took place that night, referencing the end of H2O, where we get a flashback scene with Michael Myers had done a switcheroo with a paramedic. And so it was a paramedic that was in uh, the Michael Myers suit that actually got its head chopped off by Lori in the previous movie. And I think we even get a shot of... The, a cop pulling the mask off of the severed head, and we do get a, a flashback of Michael Myers crushing the paramedic's larynx, and right. that's why he couldn't call out for help. And this was the pawing at the mask. That was just him waking up going, what the fuck happened? Where am I? Right. And then the reaching out is, I wish I could talk right now, but fucking help me. Right. <laughs> and uh, Mustafa, like I said on the last one, he wanted, he wanted him to live, so they're olive branch they gave him was Mikey walking out in the paramedic outfit. Well, then they had to fill in the blanks with all this bullshit. So they filmed this entire opening scene like two weeks after they finished shooting H2O. Oh, Lord. We see them giving Lori her pills, but she's stashing them in her raggedy and all. So, of course, Lori sees Michael Myers out the window, and we see Michael Myers on the security monitors, just like in part two, wandering around. We've got a a guard that goes wandering off for some snack cakes or something, and he finds another guard's head in the dryer. Right. And as he's freaking out from that, he trips over the decapitated body. (laughs) Michael Myers pops up out of nowhere and slits his throat. So we then see Mikey make his way into Lori's room, and he walks through the door. And it's a dumb shot because he's just walking at normal Michael Myers' gate down the hall and kind of stops at the door and then just keeps walking, and the door just shatters (laughs) to pieces. 
so dumb. But the only clever thing in this scene here is the nice throwback to the doll. And I like how she's catatonic like her brother was. Yeah. You know, that's probably how they're diagnosing it. Yeah, just faking it for the nurses. And she hops up and actually she doesn't hop up. She's hiding in the corner and right. bashes him with a fucking lamp. She couldn't find a fire extinguisher this time. <laughs> she takes off. Mikey gives chase and uh, they end up on the roof and he gets snared on, on the fucking rope from this crane that's on the roof for some reason. But the control <laughs> button is safely far away from it over by the door where Lori's standing. So as he stands there, she tells him, I know you'd come for me sooner or later. She hits the button and we've got Mikey snared and hanging off the side of the roof. And she goes up to him, but she pauses. Because she's got to check and see if it's really him this time. And as he reaches out, he grabs her. The rope breaks. They both fall, and she gets stabbed in the back. Of course, they're dangling right now. Right. And, uh, of course, she says something kind of poetic to him. I'll see you in hell. And that's it. He drops her, and she falls. And what's really jacked is she was under contract to do this movie if it came up because of H2O. Read the script and said... Only if my character dies in the first act. This is dog shit. I want out. <laughs> she was actually only contractually obligated to do a 30-second scene. So her contract, she had to do a 30-second scene if they did a sequel to explain something happened to her character. And she saw the movie was so fucking terrible, she said she'd do more than the 30 seconds as long as they fucking killed her immediately so she didn't have to be a part of the shit yeah, anymore. Well, she said, fuck your contract. I'll walk. You, I die or I walk. Pick one. <laughs> <laughs> and... If you've seen this movie, you you can you know that struggle is real. I can't wait till two years from now when we're this big fucking even more awesome podcast and uh, we're covering the new trilogy. And I want to know because I haven't done too much research yet on it because I want to save it for whenever the fuck we get there. But I want to know how they got her to come back and do another one. I mean, I'm assuming all they had to do was get in the room with her and say, "Here, read the script." Exactly. Right. But the fact that she entertained the idea. Makes me think she does actually respect the fans at least. She's like, yeah, maybe somebody's gonna fix some shit. This is true. They thought so little of her, though. You'll notice they used the same fucking picture of her from H two O for the movie posters for this Correct. fucking movie. But you know, we hear about it all the time where people say, "Oh, I'm never gonna work with this person, or I'm never gonna do anything in this franchise again." And then they're like, "But then I read this script." Actually, you know what? You know where I'm getting that from? That's coming from uh, fucking uh, Freddy Krueger himself. <laughs> Robert England? Robert fucking England. Brain fart. Where he's like, I didn't want to do it, but then I read the script. And he says that about every fucking movie. <laughs> he did a uh, Make-A-Wish for the fan recently. Did you see that? No. It's the only time he's ever done it. It was an older fan. It wasn't like a child. And I don't remember specifically what was wrong with the guy, but he's a huge fucking Nightmare on Elm Street fan. And he got chosen to do a Make-A-Wish. And he said, I want to meet Freddy. So Robert England came, met him, hung out with him for the day. And he's in his like Freddy costume. You can look it up. It was just like a week or two ago. That is freaking awesome. Everybody needs to go check that out. But... <sighs> And I'm, I kind of glossed over this. We've seen one of the wackos in the, uh, in the psychiatric ho- hospital that's like, John Wayne Gacy, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Like, that's his thing. And uh, so Michael Myers just goes to him and gives him his knife. <laughs> and he starts reciting the story. And he gets the body count wrong in part <laughs> one and part two. It is really cool, though, because uh, one of the guards in the movie was, like, taking a piss, right? And he catches him. He's like, how did you get out of your room again? And Michael pops up in the background. If yep. you know, this, is, this is some of the only clever. I'm not, I'm going to, I'll take that back. I'm going to come back on the clever part when you get into the actual movie in a minute. Okay. Cause the movie has some clever ideas. It was just fucking poorly executed. Yes. But 
I really like this part because Mikey hears that. How did you get out again? And he's like, I'm going to follow this guy because he knows how to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And then you hear the guy reciting the serial killer statistics, which makes it really neat that he starts reciting the Michael ones, even though they got it wrong. But then Michael giving him the knife makes it where they don't warn Haddonfield. If you think about it, they don't go into specifics on I know. it, but they're like, this guy's obsessed with serial killers and he found himself a knife. Yeah. Other than the security camera footage. There is that. Womp, womp, womp. Well, this Mikey may have went and erased the tapes or <laughs> shot the hard drives with the pistol. I don't know. Um, <laughs> he could have used some of that shape urine, just fucking pissed all over it. <laughs> so we then get our shitty title card and uh, we're on to the school to meet Sarah and Jen and Rudy. And they've been picked for Dangertainment. <laughs> it's a live streaming Myers House investigation show, which as early as this was in 2002, I got to give them props. On the one hand, give them props for doing the live streaming element. Right. And on the other hand, take a dump all over it for the Blair Witch found footage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it was at least a different take on the found footage. Because if you think about it, like going from found footage to live streaming, like, that's kind of like the next evolutionary step. Yeah. I just wish it would have been done better. Because this shit, I mean, streaming wasn't a thing. Yeah. Like, like you know, some people seen that were like, is that even real? You know? And then I also <laughs> like they used, they made the film footage look like it was very pixelated shitty cameras instead of filming it with like the real cameras. Well, it's because they actually used those shitty cameras. There was no post-processing. They didn't have the money. So they just said, fuck <laughs> it, we'll use the shitty cameras. And that was a great call. And this always bothers me. This is mainly the horror genre that this happens to, but the last movie made so much fucking money. Let's make a sequel and put no money into it. Yeah. I mean, why? But that's the formula. Like we shot this one for 15 and it made 80. We're going to shoot this one for 12 and it's going to make 70. Let's uh, hope they don't do that with Halloween kills and Halloween ends. I think eight, 18, I think 2018 made enough money that they know what they can try to get away with spending. I don't know. I, uh, I trust Blumhouse more than I trust any of the uh, Akkad companies, Compass, oh, yeah. whatever. Like he had multiple companies yeah. that took part in this. But at any rate, um, we also meet Miles via email because Sarah wants him to check out the site. And we don't know his name's Miles yet. It's going to be Decker to her. And I'm just going to go ahead and clarify this right now because I'm going to refer to him as Miles for the whole movie. But uh, they've only talked online. They've, ne they've never met. And that's going to be important later. So now we get to meet the showmakers, Freddie and Nora and the rest of the cast. And Nora is Tyra Banks because, yeah, that's what we needed in a Michael Myers movie was Buster Rhymes and Tyra Banks. So we've got a singer and a model. And she may, was Tyra Banks a TV host at that time? I don't know. Maybe it, not yet. I don't, I don't know. It just felt like the. It was the, stunt casting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the biggest. And they even said that was a huge mistake they made because they're like, we put LL Cool J in there. It worked. Let's do bigger stunt casting. Let's get another hip hop singer. Let's get this model who's big and famous now. And they're like, let's put these famous people in and it'll pull people into the movie. Yeah. It didn't fucking work. And let's make sure they don't have acting experience and we give them a lot of dialogue. Right. <laughs> oh my God. Buster Rhymes fucking dialogue. Fucking any of his acting in this movie is just so atrocious. Oh yeah. It's bad. It's a caricature. It's so bad. But um, the cast gives their reasons um, for why they want to be on the show. Right. Because aren't they getting like interviewed? Like, why are you here? Why yeah. do you want to be on the show? And we end up getting to Sarah. And uh, while she's talking, a photographer knocks over a light stand that busts that causes her to scream so loud that a glass shatters, which is fucking hilariously ironic because she couldn't scream <laughs> right. and they dubbed every one of her screams in the movie. 
Why would you hire an actress to be your final girl in a slasher movie that can't scream? Um, one of two things. Here's my theory. So she reads the script. She's in. She auditions. She gets the part. And they ask, but can you scream? We need you to scream a lot. No, not really. Fuck it. We'll figure it out. Either that or part B, we get on set. We get to the first time we need her to scream. And it's like, you can't scream? Uh, oh, well. Moving on. I think it's probably mostly that. Like, she, she's a fine actress in the movie. She's yeah. actually, yeah, she's a great actress in the movie and, and she really fit in the part that she was supposed to play. And, you know, we don't know what the reading was like, yeah. what did, what was your line? You know, they give her a scene. Maybe she didn't scream in it. Maybe it was just a dialogue piece. And like, this is her. We fucking want her. And then, like you said, they start filming and then she goes to scream like, oh, mm, let's get <laughs> Wilhelm in here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so she goes to Busta to try to quit and interrupts his Kung Fu time. And, uh, he tells when John Lee. <laughs> He tells her she's the real deal and that's what people want. And like as she's walking away, he gets one of his terrible lines where he's like, Damn, damn, you flipped that. Damn, Freddie, you so good. Like, <laughs> I know. Some of them would have worked if they were way shorter and right. I would have given them a pass, but they hold on them for too damn long. And then, like, that one, him saying it to himself added an extra layer of cheese. Like, yep. too many layers on the nachos there, right? <laughs> like, had he been saying it to Tyra or something, it might not have came off as poorly. Yeah. The next day, the girls go shopping, and Sarah sees the boogeyman from Mixter's class. Because when we were introduced to her in class, because we had to get that, who's going to be the, the lead girl? Oh, it's the one in the back twirling her hair like in the first movie. Um, but it's uh, Rick Rosenthal as the professor, and he's Professor Mixter going back to Dr. Mixter in two. Um, so that was his own little thing there. But I was going to ask you what other Mixter was there. Like we didn't just fucking film the other two <laughs> Halloween episodes three days ago. <laughs> it's a fucking mush at this point. Yes. But uh, we also see Miles chatting with his buddy about not being able to go to a party because he's going to be watching the stream. But he agrees to go anyway. And uh, so we get the group learning how to use their camera rigs and uh, Busta showing them how they work. So now we cut to the crew setting up in the house. And while Tyra Banks does her coffee dance, because she's just dancing and making coffee, <laughs> Charlie, the intern, I don't know if he was an assistant, but I feel like he was an intern because I feel sorry for the guy, gets fucking stabbed through the throat, straight up peeping Tom style. I'm so glad you put that in there. You would have never caught that if it wasn't for me. And that's what I was going to say, because I still haven't watched the movie. Have but you not? I haven't. But just watching him, Michael Myers, pick up the camera rig, and we've got this spike coming out of the one of the legs, and I'm like... That's that peeping Tom shit Jesse was talking about. <laughs> so like when you're watching it, it clicked. That's yes. fucking awesome that you called it though, just off of my description. And that's the thing. I'm, I'm going to stop in a second because I got to let Josh talk at some point. But <laughs> this movie had lots of good ideas. And it's not like Rick Rosenthal never made a fucking movie before. But honestly, it has the same feel as Halloween 2. In some aspects, like, yes. It's just like the spirit of it. It's like it's just there. Especially you, the end. But you, but you do have like some cool framing in the movie. You do have like the streaming idea was original. You have like throwbacks to fucking peeping Tom, which nobody does, <laughs> you know, and then you, you have Tyra Banks and Buster Robbins. They're not the only problem with this movie, but it's just like you get what you get and then you get the dialogue. Yeah. It's like you're going along for the ride and like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Let's keep watching. Oh, and then this happens and the air's let out of my balloon. <laughs> so but it's okay because down here they all float Shit. so um 
We see Sarah arrive, and she thinks she sees Michael Myers in the house, and she shrugs it off. And due to what's going to happen later on in the movie, I go back and forth with some of these background shots of the shape. Is it him, or is it the show? Um, just on background shots. Okay. Because they, to like, me— is it Freddy? Is yeah. that what you mean? Okay. Yeah. Well, and then there's the other guy that's supposed to be in a Michael Myers costume, too. We find out when Freddy has his whole encounter with Michael Myers. Right. So it makes me wonder sometimes when you see where it's just stupid, where you're watching, it's like, why was Michael Myers standing in the corner for that whole scene and then just lets the kids leave? I don't think it is, though, just because when Freddy does bump into Mikey, he thinks it is that guy, but he goes, what are you doing? You know I'm supposed to be the one playing the shape. So it's like the guy wasn't supposed to be in the costume to begin with. Yeah. Then you got to ask how many shape suits do you have laying around in the trailer or the garage? Yeah. Why didn't they think anybody would ever check the garage? Command center. You know what I mean? Like I'm saying, like that's the command center. It's their studio and they're supposed to search the fucking house. But like they won't go in the garage. Yeah. Just don't investigate in here. But uh, anyways, what? there was no garage in the Myers house. I'm just saying. Were there tunnels and hatches? <laughs> We don't know because they didn't go down that far, but there definitely wasn't a fucking attached garage. <laughs> but uh, the kids arrive and they enter the house and the show starts. And uh, Rudy quickly notices that the spices in the kitchen are fresh. And uh, while Jim hits on Donna and it's funny because he's supposed to be like the, the mm-hmm. he's supposed to be the douche O'Neill. <laughs> yeah. He's the douche O'Neill and he's like a music major, right? Yeah. And, well, no, she's, she's like, cause I think she's the a music major or this, or that, or that she's like the brain, but he may have been music. I don't know. I think she's he's like a, a literature major. Right. Maybe. And then he's, she's like, I wouldn't be caught dead with a music major. Fucking <laughs> slumming it. Say something smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm using that in bed tonight. But anyways, not with me. <laughs> so we get this terrible jump scare and the group splits up. I don't even remember what the jump scare is. It's just terrible. <laughs> I was about to ask because I couldn't remember. It's that bad because so many of them happen this. And we see that Michael Myers is definitely in the house. So cut to the party that Miles went to. Oh, and God, as the soon costumes. As, as soon as he gets there, oh, well, we're going to leave them alone. Because as soon as he gets there, he's like, looks around. I got to find me some internet. <laughs> and goes into the side office and starts watching the stream. I'm really sad because uh, this was a missed opportunity to have the dial-up modem, like <laughs> fucking connecting and everything. Hearing the connection to AOL and shit. Yeah, man. <laughs> so back at the house, it's now dark, and the group lights up some candles and some lamps, and uh, we see Jen sit where Judith got it, like right there. Like, she's not naked and brushing her hair yet. <laughs> Bill tells her to show some skin because the audience will like it and she kind of does but she's just teasing but then we see from just outside of the room it's enough to get Michael Myers worked up Pervy Myers is back yeah so this is the first time we get the heavy breathing there's so much is wrong about this movie that like there's no plot points in this it's like just let's get to the end that's, right. that's all that really happens that's what I was thinking when I was so, watching it let's just get to the end I'm not gonna sit here and say and then they walk into this room and talk about something pointless then they walk upstairs and talk about something pointless because there's a lot of that in this movie we probably should just make that a general rule going forward <laughs> but Jen plays a joke she hides and screams to fuck with the group and uh, we're cutting back and forth from shit in the house with at the party where like more and more people are coming into the computer room. And uh, this part's kind of funny. Like how people just keep coming in the room. Yeah. And see, they're like, what's this? Oh, okay, cool. We're going to watch it with you. I got to ask and I hope I don't spoil it if you haven't got to it yet. <laughs> I'm 43 into the mo- 43 minutes of the movie, believe it or not. <laughs> so have we seen the fucking zombie baby from Dead Alive's high chair yet? Like <laughs> I came into play. I know where that is in the movie, but I didn't make note of it. Like, 
there's really cheesy things around this house. Like they find a high chair that's got like fucking straps and chains and shit in it in a dark closet. And they're like, this must be where they kept them as a child. And, and you, you put that together with like the fucking nutmeg and oregano and shit's not bad. The nutmeg and oregano. <laughs> And, and like the fucking brand new pristine butcher knives in the kitchen drawer and all these things you see through the house and you're like, okay, they fucking rigged this house up for this fucking reality show. And then yeah. it's, I mean, it's one of the more interesting parts of the movie. And then also shows how dumb the fucking cast is. Cause they couldn't figure that out. Right. I mean, there's, they're like, this shit is rigged. Like one person says it. I don't even fucking remember who, well, but well, it's Rudy when at the very beginning, when he goes in the kitchen, he's like, smell this. This is, does this smell 40 years old to you or whatever it is? It's either the, uh, upcoming basement tunnel scene or the high chair. One of them kind of calls it out to you. Yeah. Well, definitely the, the torture chamber. Yeah. But, uh, so after Jen's stupid scare thing, Bill looks in a mirror to send a message to the viewers. And then Michael Myers bursts through the mirror and stabs him in the head. I guess Michael Myers was just inside the wall. I don't When you see the tunnels, maybe, I don't know. It's dumb. And, uh, I can't even say, Oh, it's a cool scene. I'm just, no, just like an Epstein's jail cell. The camera goes out. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. You went there. Oh, yeah. I went there. So um, Sarah goes into the closet from the first movie, and uh, we get another stupid jump scare. Meanwhile, Jim finds this giant fucking key out of, like, a video game or something <laughs> and shows Donna that it opens the hatch in the basement. And so the two of them head down, and they see, uh, see the chains on the walls and shit. And uh, all this shit gets hard to get Donna so worked up that she's totally down to fuck now. And uh, But they get interrupted by a mass grave collapsing on them. <laughs> and it's stupid because this is the part where he's like, say something smart. And uh, she's like, I bet there's no cameras down here. And then they take their cameras off and point them at themselves right. to get, get freaky and everything. But whatever. So all these corpses and body parts just fall out of the wall on them. Poltergeist style, but not as cool. <laughs> and... Uh, they're freaking the fuck out, but it's fake. Look at this. I don't fucking believe this. What? Made in fucking Taiwan. So Buster Rhymes comes in and he's in a Michael Myers getup. And he tells the other Michael Myers that he thinks it's Charlie to go do his fucking job. But actually, he says a lot of mean shit to her. Like, what the fuck you think you're doing, fool? You need to get to the back door. And shit like that. <laughs> and it's really funny for a little bit because he's muffled by the mask. Right. I like, like how they didn't make his voice clear. Yeah. A little bit? Give me two of the seven lines he says. I'm okay with that. I understand none of these kids have seen Michael Myers before, you know, because they're still alive, right? <laughs> so they wouldn't realize that he's a lot bigger than Mikey. Because Buster Holmes, he's a big dude. Yeah. Like he's wide and shit. So they wouldn't get that part. But he's not wearing gloves. Do they at least know what color Michael Myers was? Nah, maybe not. Because are these Haddonfield residents? I don't know. <laughs> You know what I mean? I, I noticed that though, because he's holding, because he's got, I mean, he's a, like I said, he's a big guy. He could have been a fucking football player. At least, I mean, you never can tell in a movie because like most actors are so small that when you do get like a musician or somebody in there, like they're bigger than everybody, right? Yeah. But like he looks like a big dude compared to the rest of the guys in the movie. And I'm like, it makes me think of, I'd say Dead by Daylight, the giant <laughs> hand holding the little ass knife. And I'm like, but Buster Robbins is a black dude. Are they going to like, that's not Mikey. <laughs> Jim heads back up out of the torture chamber and uh, Donna goes through the hole in the wall where all the Taiwanese body parts fell through. And uh, she ends up in this room 
with a bed and like half eaten rats and shit. And this is like another only other good, cool looking part in the movie to me. Yeah. And she's like, wow, y'all really went out on the uh, on the props. And she pokes one of the rats and it starts fucking squealing and right. shit. So it's still alive. She freaks the fuck out. So Mikey's moved on from dogs to rats. Yeah. And uh, of course she screams. And of course, Michael Myers shows up. And of course, she runs. And of course, Michael Myers impales her on a gate. And I'm just saying that because it's so cliche at this point, and it's they didn't even try to build tension in this movie. At least at it all. made sense for him to be in this room this time because this is his actual fucking room he's hiding out in. Yeah. So at least we had that instead of like he was behind the mirror. <laughs> in, inside the wall. He's the people under the stairs. <laughs> so the streamers, we cut back to them. They're seeing this kill. And most of the audience is like, oh, this is fake. And except for Miles. Miles is like, this shit's real. And... Uh, we cut back to the house and we see Sarah getting attacked by Michael Myers, but Jim hits him with the Taiwanese arm. You hit me like I murdered your fucking mother or something. But with that response, we realize that was actually Busta. <laughs> so he does tell him to turn off the cameras before he does the reveal and talks about how, you know, we conflated some of this shit because we got to make it a show. So Jen ends up finding Bill's body by pulling down the attic stairs. So <laughs> we get that back from four, six, six. Um, technically one te- Bob, Bob uh, dropped from the ceiling. Yeah. and uh, she screams and the group looks up the stairs and thinks that it's another joke because you know she cried wolf 15 minutes ago which to them it must have been hours god anyways so we had the boy who cried shape and now we have the girl <laughs> who cried shape but they all think it's another joke uh, until they see that Michael Myers is right behind Freddie which was to them was Michael Myers and he chops off her fucking head <laughs> And the head rolls down the stairs and it looks terrible. Mikey has no chill again. It does look terrible. <laughs> so seeing this on the stream, Miles fucking calls 911. Um, Michael Myers ended up grabbing Jim's head and just squeezes his head until his neck breaks. Because that makes sense. <laughs> also, the cops didn't believe him either. Right? They think it's a prank. He's like, no, it's real. It's on this show on the internet. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because they cut back. We don't see if he ever convinced them. So then Rudy actually, a smart guy out of the group, lures uh, Mikey into the kitchen, only get tacked to the door with three fucking kitchen knives in traditional Michael Myers style. <laughs> he should have made him fucking mix that nutmeg and oregano and smoke that shit. It would have <laughs> fucked him up. They could have took him out. Oh, I can't believe you told me to smoke that shit, man. So now Sarah's the only one left. And uh, luckily she's got her sweet ass HP PDA. And <laughs> Miles starts using that to IM her to tell her where Mikey is in the house on what cameras are left. I hadn't seen this movie like in forever. And I was watching, I was like, it's not a fucking Palm Pilot. <laughs> By the way, do you think his name is Deckard, like Blade Runner? Mm. I don't, I can't see where that much thought was put into anything in this production. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> oh, it really is. It's so bad. I mean, if you use the internet, you must be a cyberpunk nerd. <laughs> oh, yeah. But she ends up in the attic, and when she comes down, Freddy grabs her, and it's this is the only jump scare in the movie that's okay, because it's one of those out-of-the-shadows, just kind of hand-grab thing, not a big, here's a cat! Um, <laughs> but at any rate, Michael Myers comes up right behind Buster, and Buster goes all kung fu on him while Sarah tries to strangle him with a camera cable. <sighs> the Buster kung fu stuff is so bad. So since he's got these sweet kung fu moves, Busta ends up kicking him out the window, and he's left hanging from said cable. 
what gauge cable do they use that could fucking hold the weight? <laughs> See, and I'm okay with the the antenna cable that held uh, Jamie Lloyd. I, I could buy that. Because she was like a fucking 60-pound kid. <laughs> exactly. And if you haven't seen this movie, which honestly, I feel like this is one of those few times where we're talking about a major franchise. There's probably a bunch of people that's like, I've seen all of them but that one because they're shit. <laughs> and uh, Buster Rhymes being the final girl, basically. <laughs> Come on, man. No, no scream is there, too. <laughs> Fucking kung fu fighting. Michael Myers sounds bad enough, but he's also going, why? I can't even do it bad enough. Like I can't even be that culturally (laughs) insensitive. It's so bad. I just, it's the worst fucking Kung Fu noises ever. And I don't know, just fucking cut that shit out or something. So Sarah gets an IM that Mikey's still alive and he's in the house and he pops up and stabs the shit out of (laughs) Freddie. I do like Decker, like messaging her. I like that element. So Freddie's gone. So Sarah takes off. And uh, she goes through the tunnel that we saw earlier that Donna went down. And uh, she ends up going out a hatch somewhere else in the house. And she's in the garage. And she goes to throw some shit on top of it so Mikey can't come that way. One of which being like a push mower or a tiller (laughs) or something that leaks gas. And uh, trying to barricade the hatch. So she goes into the garage and because it's like she's in the garage, but it's like a two part thing. Right. uh, She goes in there and that's the control room. And she hides in a cabinet. And uh, Mikey comes in and she bursts out wielding a chainsaw and delivers (laughs) some of the worst dialogue and the most poorly done dialogue in the history of cinema. This is for what's his nuts. And this is for who gives a fuck. This is for all of them. Because I don't remember the character's name, she says. But she's literally stabbing him with a chainsaw saying this shit. And it's so bad. I didn't even catch that because it bothered me so much that the chainsaw insta crank silently inside of a locker yeah yeah there's that too because it is it's fucking silent and she doesn't crank it she's just all of a sudden this is for tina Ooh, this is for bill Ooh, so bad <laughs> there's no tina in this movie by the way there's a there's a bill i got that one so <laughs> she hits some cables causing sparks to ignite a trail of gasoline that goes back into the other room where this mower was how the fuck unlevel is the foundation of this house for that gas to run all the way into that room? I don't think Dangertainment pulled fucking permits to do all this fucking construction <laughs> on this house with the goddamn secret tunnels and shit. There it is. But I just want to point out, because this is going to be important here in about 90 seconds, that they are battling in a pool of uh, Tyra Banks' blood. Oh, I thought maybe they were just fighting in a pool of disappointment and shame. So now the whole place is on fire. And by the whole place, I mean the whole goddamn house. So there was a mini explosion while this was happening and Sarah's pinned under some shit. Mikey does the sit up. Right. And he may even do the head turn. I don't remember. Anyways. It's not memorable to me. I love the amount of excitement in your voice as you talk about this movie right now. He's fallen asleep twice. I've already had to wake him up. Oh, but this is this is the big big fucking thing, man. When you said like the best thing in ninety seconds, I thought you were talking about the credits. Oh no 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 no! Another forty five seconds for that. So Mikey sits up, grabs his knife, goes to stab, but Busta kicks down the door from the outside. <laughs> Trick or treat, motherfucker! He beats on Mikey for a while, and then he gets thrown into a wall. Then Michael Myers goes to stab him, but Buster grabs some wires and shocks Michael Myers. In the junk, like right to the dick. Since when can you cook nuts with an XLR cable? I 
think they were out of a power box. Oh, which well, that's just as bad. I've never seen. Well, I don't know. There's I thought it was some, like a stage box with the XLR cable. I guess it could have been a power box. I think it's a power box. I think there's a mixer that when the explosion happens, that Sarah's all tangled up in. I think that they're next to each other. Just when I, fuck this movie. <laughs> We're not going to rationalize anymore. Yeah, rationalizing this is like trying to rationalize Poltergeist 3. No, Reanimator 3. <laughs> That's what I thought of when I saw the rat the first time, by the way. Like, uh, <laughs> like fucking Mikey Snack. Damn it, I didn't make a joke about a dancing kung fu penis next to it. Anyway. I forgot there was oh, a dancing wait. dick. There is a dancing kung fu penis in this movie. His name's Buster Rhymes. <laughs> He's going to come whoop your ass because he's a lot bigger than you. If he ever goes to whoop my ass, I'm going to say, stop. You know how much bullshit that movie and that role was, and you were just happy to get a paycheck, weren't you? But at any rate, Mikey stumbles back into the pool of blood and gets tangled up in the ceiling wires that emitted a spark, the sparks earlier. And Buster then shoves the same live wires into the Nora blood, electrocuting Mikey. He cares. Ser- cares. Cares. Nobody he- cared. <laughs> He cares. <laughs> he cares Sarah out, and we see Michael Meyer burning up on one of the cameras. I've seen it before. I know, right? And the news crew rolls up, and Sarah thanks Miles because he was the only one, you know, to protect her and save her because of all the IMing to know where Michael was in the house and shit. And he gets all the props at the party, too. He does. He and might even turn into a douchebag O'Neill after this party. Yeah. And then Busta goes on some rant. I think about danger, tainment, and whatever, and is like, y'all want to see something? And then just puts his hand over the camera. It's more dumb shit. And uh, not because it's him, just because it was poorly written. And uh, what do we need at the end to make sure everything's fine? Closure, right? So for closure, we get Michael Myers being wheeled into the ME's office. And it's like, hey, this one's famous, or some shit is what they say to her. And she goes to pull the charred mask off. He opens his eyes. Credits. Dog shit of a movie. I think I made that abundantly clear during the synopsis slash review. I didn't do any research on behind the scenes of this fucking film other than the t- couple of nuggets that I put in there. Cause we're, look, we're trying to give y'all details on some stuff, but sometimes we're going to run into these movies that are just bad. And I'd rather spend that time researching quality information about quality movies. I am like the diehard Halloween fan. And I honestly forgot this movie fucking existed when we were splitting the movies up. And I just hate saying that, but there's really no redeemable qualities for the movie. The idea, I said it earlier, I don't want to fucking beat the dead horse, but like it was a cool idea on paper. It just needed probably a different director. Yeah. And well, and that's the thing I, I dumped on Rosenthal a few times in here. I think it's the writers. The writers are the problem with this movie. Right. But I don't know. Like, Maybe if I could have seen him do a Halloween movie that wasn't like a sequel cheap cash grab, because that's what two and eight were. They were. And I think this one even made money. Probably just because the second one did. And then the stunt casting. Oh, it's got Buster Rhymes in it. Oh, it's got Tyra Banks in it. Oh, it's going to the guys of fucking American Pie. I remember seeing him on the trailers. Yeah. And forgive me. I did not get Tyra's death in my notes. Um, but I've fucked that up, but. Nora gets killed in the control. It may even be an off-screen kill because we just I think it is. We see her the the pool of blood and her body like tied up in the rafters. And it's just I don't know. Like I don't know how you could take such a good idea and then execute it so poorly. But it happened. <laughs> I mean, it, it really did. And I mean, there's a lot of fans that don't acknowledge this movie. And H2O was the last one. At least now we have 2018. Yeah, that we can say was the last one. 
but it's an alternate timeline again. And that one, two H2O timeline would have been fucking awesome. Yeah. It'd have been cooler if it was a one H2O. Like there's like, you know, like what they did with 2018. Yeah. But I mean, two's not that bad. It's just the kills are kind of dumb. And then like the, there's nothing happens in it. Like yep. only the finality of Michael and Loomis getting killed at the end. But even that didn't stick, you know? Exactly. But, uh, as Jesse said, we've talked about how some of these movies would exist in a vacuum, and uh, we're going to go over to one that kind of is. So uh, get ready. It's almost time. Get your glow-in-the-dark mask and get ready for Silver Shamrock because we're going into Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. movie came out in 1982, which is the same year we were born. And this movie was the last Halloween movie made by some remnants of the OG team. Yeah. You had Tommy Lee Wallace writing and directing the film. Yep. And he worked very closely with John and Deborah. He was like the production manager, I think. And he did like the props and the sets. Fuck, he played the shape. You know, he punched through all the doors that he rigged up to be punched through. Like he was very involved. The movie was produced by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. It was scored by John Carpenter. Alan Howarth was in here, which he did. Fuck, I don't remember if it was four or five, whatever we talked about on the last one. Yeah, like a chunk of them. Dean Cundy was back. He was the uh, director of photography for um, fucking the, at least the first one, but I think all of the old ones. And I'll go over most of the cast of this film as we uh, get to them. But I do have to preface all of this with this movie starring Tom fucking Atkins. Thrill me. <laughs> Shit. I mean, he's a horror classic. I mean, he was in other Carpenter movies. That's the thing. Like a lot of these people worked on like the fog and escape from New York. This is like a very tight knit team. They were approached to make another Halloween movie. They were trying to decide what they were going to do because John and Deborah had already fucking killed Michael. They had fucking killed Dr. Loomis. He was dead. Let's make another Halloween movie. Let's just make it a movie about the holiday. Let's make it an anthology series. Each story can stem its own sequels. We can have the season of the witch and it does this and then it has part two and then we can make Halloween whatever the fuck this way and it has its own part two or maybe it's a standalone. And I do have to say the poster slash movie cover for this is one of my favorite posters for a movie of all time. This movie's fucking awesome. I mean, it, it is. It's just, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> and it was a cool idea. I mean, that's what works with American Horror Story, right? Like yep. fucking works year to year. I thought it was a neat idea. But the movie fucking bombed and Mustafa Akkad used it as like a big, aha, I told you, you got to have Michael. With this movie being like right at the fucking heart of the 80s here, they decided they were going to blend witchcraft and technology. And that was actually Deborah Hill's idea. And it sounds fucking crazy, but they did it. Cyber witches. No, just kidding. Shit. The tagline of the movie, I actually like it as much as people make fun of it, but the tagline was the night nobody comes home. Because the tagline of the first movie was the night he came home, <laughs> yeah. right? So it worked. <laughs> That's a funny wordplay. And uh, throughout the movie, they refer to the mask and like the commercials and in the storefronts, the three masks, it's the big Halloween three. Uh, okay. Which is, this was Halloween three. Everyone involved with this movie, they think the biggest mistake they made was calling it Halloween three. Yeah. I mean, just call it Season of the Witch. And honestly, the movie exists. Literally, you don't have to put this one in a vacuum. It does. Like, it has absolutely nothing to do with it. And them trying to use Halloween 3 as the name was just a fucking money grab idea. It had to be. Yeah. I have a theory, though. But I'll save that for the end. <laughs> but you really get the witchcraft technology vibe from the movie with the start of the fucking opening credits. Because it's just this fucking awesome synth music playing, right? And it's black. 
Just like the old credits, but instead of having just like the orange words pop up, you got like the cyberpunk lines. I don't know what the fuck you call it. You got the laser lines coming in with the synth and they're like fucking molding yes. and doing stuff. It's the most 80 shit I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And you eventually get the, uh, the pull away to realize that it's the scan lines that were drawing a fucking Jack Lantern. Right, right, it, right. It's awesome. And you're, yeah, it's over the top. Anybody who hasn't seen this, think of the opening of Stranger Things and the vibe that gives yes. off. That is exactly what this is. Yes. The first time I saw the opening of Stranger Things, I'm like, the Duffer Brothers love season of the witch. It's exactly <laughs> what I thought. And as a matter of fact, if you haven't seen the opening credits, unless it's not on there anymore, you used to be able to pull up just the opening credits on fucking uh, on YouTube with the synth music playing because it was so badass. People would always put it on there because yep. this movie by some it's hated as a Halloween movie, but this movie has a fucking huge cult following as a horror movie. Yeah. It took it a long time for it to happen, but it has. Yeah. But, uh, we get our opening scene, Northern California. Yes. California. We're not in Illinois in this one, October, Saturday, the 23rd. And honestly, I think it's the earliest in the month that a Halloween movie starts. We see a man running for his life down a street and he's carrying a jack-o'-lantern mask in his waistband. There's a car fucking chasing behind him. It's not the shape driving, unfortunately. <laughs> no shape in this one. He tries to hide, and he's running around some trailers, and he's caught by a man in a suit. Uh, the fucking G-Man picks him up and tries to strangle him, and he manages to pull, like, a wheel block out from under a car because it's kind of like a junkyard with trailers. And the uh, car comes down and fucking crushes the man, and his partner gets out of the car, and he's, like, fucking got Jollo gloves he's putting on, and he's going in for the kill, but the stranger gets away. The assassin, as he's called, like the main G-Man that goes to kill everybody. Yeah. Fucking Dick Warlock. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was the stunt coordinator. He plays, he's referred to as the assassin. Yeah. And then it says one hour later, and we're at a gas station, and we see the news playing, and it says that a five-ton stone was stolen from Stonehenge, and uh, then the Silver Shamrock commercial comes on to let you know that it's only eight more days until Halloween with its fucking awesome theme song. And anytime you hear a Silver Shamrock commercial, it's Tommy Lee Wallace doing the voiceover. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I had that cool radio announcer voice. <laughs> His words. He didn't let somebody else say it about him. It about <laughs> but uh, the power goes out at the gas station because Mikey knows how to cut power cables. <gasps> oh, wait. No, he's not here. He's not here. <laughs> so glad you did that. <laughs> and uh, the attendant gets up to see what's going on because that's the smart horror movie thing. Yeah. And he's scared by the stranger who collapses and pulls the mask out saying, they're coming. <laughs> the The gas station attendant puts him in his truck and he drives him away. And as that's going on, another G-Man pops in a frame. And we get this fucking awesome synth sting just all the way through the movie. It's John doing it again, right? So Yeah. Dude, every time you, see, you say G-Man, all I picture is House of the Dead. <laughs> I didn't want to go with Men in Black again. Ah, but really they are the men like they're dudes in suits with fucking Jolo gloves on. I will say this movie, the framing and the way like the assassin steps in and shit like that for the whole movie. It it's a, it's got the H one vibe. Oh, okay. You know, the cinematography and the frame and everything Tommy learned from John, John was there producing it. It's just, it, it has the vibe without having Michael in it, which is what they should have fucking done from the beginning with sequels. <laughs> We cut to a suburban home and we see Daniel played by Tom Atkins come in from the rain with some Halloween masks for his kids. And they're not excited about them because their mom already got him silver shamrock mask. He just got shit on uh, <laughs> the fucking sick jam comes on the TV again and the fucking kids pop right down to watch it. 
But the mom, Linda, is played by Nancy Keys, Nancy Loomis. I don't know what the fuck her last name was, but she was Annie in the first one and Tommy Lee Wallace's wife. She was the girlfriend when they made Halloween and the wife when they made Halloween 3. Oh. You didn't know that? I didn't know this. <laughs> her hair is a different color and she can't be that much older. It was fucking five years. She's so damn Four mean years. in this, though. I think she's supposed to just be playing the angry ex-wife that's sick of her husband's shit. But she's mean to the kids, too. I think she's actually pregnant with her child when they're filming the movie, too. Not Tom Atkins' child, but Tommy Lee Wallace's. <laughs> yeah, Tom Atkins likes him a little younger. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. We know why they're divorced now, probably. Oh, it's a burn. <laughs> he starts trying to have a conversation about you know his ex-wife, find out what's been going on. He's trying to be friendly, and he gets a page from work. A pager was a little box in <laughs> your waistband that people could... Send you a, please call me. It would just show a phone number. You call the person. Yes, that's the first time we've got to explain that. <laughs> you know what's funny? My sister-in-law that's a nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. like they still used pagers like four fucking years ago. Yeah. Like hospitals still do. They're just reliable. Oh, yeah. It's like Danny Glover with his fucking revolver in the Lethal Weapon movies. But uh, he's like, I'm, I'm sorry, Linda, I got to go to work. <laughs> she lets him know that drinking and doctoring might not be the way to go. <laughs> so I guess we're supposed to assume that he's already drunk or she yeah. can smell it on him. Yeah, he's a drinker. Miller time. <laughs> we cut to the hospital and we see that he's called in for a, a strange patient gripping a Jekyll lantern mask. And uh, the nurse says, sorry, we had to call you in, but Dr. Castle's out. You think it's a Nick Castle reference? Gotta it's gotta be. be. It's gotta be. They're all friends, right? I do want to say, I, I don't know if this is in my notes. So I just want to go into it. The three masks. Okay. Yeah. It's the witch. The skull. The skull and the Jekyll lantern. The witch and the skull were already... Don Post mask you could buy in stores exactly like that. Okay. And then they asked them to make the jack-o'-lantern mask specifically for this movie. And then they sold them in stores as like the big Halloween three. Gotcha. So the mask were like advertisements for the movie in themselves. I would love to own all three of them, like on mannequin heads next to my shape mask. Let's we say, and Josh off to eBay. But, uh, the gas station attendant's hilarious in the scene because he's like, I swear, he just came to my store and fell over. I didn't do anything. He doesn't want to get blamed for the shit. And he wants to get out of there. And um, while Daniel's talking to, to the attendant, the uh, Silver Shamrock commercial comes on and the stranger starts to babble out some ominous shit. They're going to kill us. All of us. The gas station dude takes us as cute to just get the fuck out of there. And uh, we see another G-Man pull up in the parking lot. It's random guys in suits, sometimes with sunglasses. What them's Dick Warlock? I can't remember if it's Dick Warlock unless he's going in to kill somebody. Like, if you see him <laughs> trying to murder somebody, it's Dick Warlock. Other than that, it's just some dudes in suits. But Daniel goes to take a nap in the doctor's lounge because he's, you know, tired from drinking all day. And uh, he'll go with or without Nurse Agnes, whatever she's willing to do, because he's a ladies' man. And... Uh, the G-Man has a nice shape walk as he walks towards the room. Could have been Mikey again. It just wasn't. He suits up in his Jollo gloves, sneaks into the stranger's room, where he couches his fucking eyeballs out and snaps part of his, like, nose bone out, killing him. Fatality. Nurse Agnes catches him in the act, and uh, fortunately, he leaves her beat because Nurse Agnes was pretty fucking badass. We didn't want her to go. <laughs> Daniel hears the screams and chases after the man who gets into his car. Douses himself in gasoline and blows himself the fuck up. It's normal. Totally normal. (laughs) Totally normal. The first responders are uh, waiting to use the phone in Daniel's office. 
as he gets a scalding from his ex-wife on the phone because it was his weekend for the kids. And he picks the mask up and he looks at the uh, silver shamrock badge on the back. And he can hear the stranger saying, they're going to kill us all in his head. Yeah. We now cut to Sunday the 24th and we're introduced to Ellie as she comes in to ID her father. She asks what happened and the sheriff said, drugs, probably. (laughs) It's like, what the fuck? It's kind of cocaine, man. It fucking makes your nose explode. Some fucked up shit. I don't know what the hell is going on there. I found him with crack all over him. Ellie was played by Stacey Nelkin. Okay. I didn't necessarily recognize her from anything. I wish I'd dug a little bit further on that. Because the only other person in the movie I recognized was Dan O'Harely, who plays uh, Connell, you know, the bad guy. Like, I knew him from a bunch of shit, but I don't know if I necessarily knew her from anything. I remember looking her up. And just that's like it. Random 80s <laughs> movies, I feel like. But <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but but she runs out of the room crying, you know, and she's sad. Daniel's trying to leave to go home for the day. And <laughs> he sees Ellie crying in the hallway and they just give each other this like staring glance. Because that's how he likes him, crying and fatherless. <laughs> yes. He looks like the kind of guy that like fucking lives at a strip club when he's off. That's exactly. We now cut to Wednesday the 27th. And Daniel's asking the coroner what happened. And she says she's still going through the evidence because it's just piles of ash. Uh, She lets Daniel know that the sheriff thinks he was on drugs. That doesn't make any sense. I've seen lots of people on drugs. A man was in complete control. He looked like a businessman. I feel like these are uh, Sheriff Brackett jokes. Like, it's got to be kids. Yeah. Right? I think it was just like a play on that. She lets Daniel know that the businessman had to be strong, though. To rip the fucking nose bone out like that. And uh, we can kind of tell that Daniel and the coroner have a thing or had a thing. Yeah. Like maybe that's why he's not married to Linda anymore. Oh. Because they definitely, he's like, oh, we already did that. By the way, his wife, Linda, Linda was a character from the first Halloween. Annie is playing Linda. I'm, I'm pretty sure they just fucking just threw all this in there. Josh's head's going. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm picturing, I'm a, I'm a very visual person, and I'm just picturing this big pot that everything's being dumped into, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, <laughs> shake, and movie. <laughs> wow, we cut straight to Friday the 29th. Is it, am I going through the movie this fast, or is it just like the 30th and 31st is the bulk of it? I don't know, but the important part is it's two more days till Halloween. Halloween. But we open up into a pub. And we see Daniel's drinking at the bar, and he's sick of the cartoons on the TV, and has the bartender change the channel. And we get a Halloween trailer with a voiceover from Tommy Lee Wallace, and it says some shit like, greatest horror movie ever made, or something like that. And then we get a Silver Shamrock commercial, and then Daniel gets him to change it again to a a football game, right? And Ellie comes in to see Daniel, says the nurse knew where to find him. <laughs> she could find them at Closest the Closest bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> nurse Agnes knows him too well. Maybe Nurse Agnes is why him and Linda are together. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe any female in that hospital that said, wouldn't say no. We're really talking a lot of shit about this man's character. <laughs> but <laughs> shit. She thanks him for coming to the funeral, and she wants to know if her father said anything. Daniel says that he said he loved her. She knows he's full of shit and busts him out on it. So then he just tells her the truth about the mask and they're coming to get me in the whole shebang. They're coming to get me, Barbara. Ellie. <laughs> shit. They go to Ellie's dad's store. So he owned like a Vincent's Drugs. Yeah. From four and five, basically. It was a little like a five, five and dime. <laughs> Ellie doesn't understand why anybody would want to kill her father. She said he was doing some detective work on his own, and she goes through his journal that had, like, his, you know, calendar and shit in it, 
and she could verify all of the meetings he had. He went to a football game. He went to a town meeting. People remember seeing him there. He picked up the silver shamrock mask from the, you know, warehouse factory pickup location. And he's supposed to have dinner with Mrs. Blankenship, but he never made it to that meeting. Mrs. Blankenship, Halloween 6, Curse of Michael Myers, I was, the lady that lives across the street. I was going to ask, was that the same name? I'm assuming they knew somebody that probably worked on the movies or something that's last name was Blankenship and they just used the names. Yeah. Well, I say that, but I'm six would have had to just been an homage pulling a name. It could have been. Yeah, because, I mean, nobody from this crew had fuck all anything to do with six. <laughs> But she lets Daniel know she's not going back to L.A. until she finds out what the fuck happened to her father. Daniel uses the payphone to tell his ex-wife that he can't get the kids again, and he has to go to a doctor's conference. We're really seeing how he got a divorce now. And uh, basically gives up his weekend with his kids to leave with a young woman. Yeah. The fucking Silver Shamrock commercial comes on the TV again. This might not be my jam anymore. <laughs> like, it's fucking, at this point, it's played so many times. Nails on a chalkboard at this point. We cut to the town of Santa Mira, California. Pretty sure it's fictional. And they did find a small, tiny town to film everything in. And they were talking about like all the looky-loos staring at them all freaking. That's what they put in the movie, right? Because <laughs> Daniel and Ellie drive down the highway and um, they say the plant's in the middle of fucking nowhere and they don't know why they put it there. And it's an Irish town that was founded by the Cochran family. And they made novelties and this and that. Now they make Halloween masks. When they get to the town, all the residents are watching, which is what really happened to them when they came to do the movie. And we can see that there are fucking surveillance cameras everywhere in the town. Daniel comes up with this plan where they'll pose as a couple that are also buyers for masks so they can go get a hotel room, right? Yep. While they're at the gas station, which is also the hotel, like they're connected, <laughs> it's the same owner. And uh, they get the owner to show Ellie the room while Daniel sneaks into the main office and he verifies that Ellie's father, Harry, did stay there. He goes out and he makes up some story about how I left the money under the till and show him. I don't know why they put all that in yeah. there. Um, Mr. Cochran drives by while Ellie's talking to the owner and the owner waves at him and lets Ellie know that, that he's a great man and a true genius. <laughs> it's so weird. We see a flying Winnebago roll up. It's not really flying. It's just a normal Winnebago. Okay. And uh, there's a family with a child named Little Buddy. I didn't write the parents' names down, but I'm assuming Dad's Big Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Papa Buddy, Mama Buddy. Uh, somewhere during all this, another car comes up and a woman gets out pissed off and angry and bitching about her like delayed shipment and I don't want to stay in the shithole town. It's Tom Atkins' wife in real life. Um, but, but after that, Daniel comes out to Ellie and he lets her know what he's found out. And then he needs a drink. This place is a zoo. He offers to get another room to Ellie when they're in there. And Ellie asks him where he wants to sleep. <laughs> Tom motherfucking Atkins does his thing. <sighs> Divorced for reasons. I know, but it's just, you could see this coming seriously all the way back to the hospital scene when she's yeah. down the hall crying. Anyways. That night, we hear some music start playing, and we hear a woman's voice on the intercom and say that it's curfew and everyone needs to stay in their homes. By okay. woman, I mean Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, really? Yeah. Everything. So I didn't catch it playing through that it was Jamie Lee Curtis, but when he calls the operator and gets it over and over again, I'm 95% certain that that one is also Jamie Lee Curtis. Huh. Like, I know it, it's listed and everyone says that she's the intercom voice, but she, I, she has to be the operator voice also. Because it's like, you know, these lines are disconnected over and over again. It's the OG team, man. All I thought about was Silent Hill. Because this is around the fog and all that shit. Like, she was still doing shit with these people. Yeah. 
We see Daniel walk into the hotel and he's got like some booze because apparently all he does is drink and fuck. And he's a doctor of some kind, apparently. Uh, but he's startled by a bum and the bum asks him for a drink from his bottle. Didn't mean to scare you. Just saw that bottle. Thought it looked pretty heavy. Daniel asks him about Cochrane and he tells him that he only hired out of town people, none of the locals, and uh, the drunk wants to burn the fucking factory down. He says that they're probably listening to him right now, and after he takes a couple more swigs, he goes, skip it off. We cut to a junkyard where I'm assuming he lives, and he's cornered by some of the G-Man, and Dick Orlock rips his fucking head off. So they had to have been listening, right? Yeah. There's the cameras everywhere. Yeah. We go back to the hotel, and Marge, the lady that got out of her car, angry earlier don't know why i didn't remember her name my <laughs> wife's name is margie but uh marge and ellie meet up and marge lets her know that she's a buyer and she wants to know if ellie is too and she's talking about how much of a piece of shit the masks are and that like even this fucking emblem fell off her badge or whatever and shows the silver shamrock badge that goes on the back of the uh mask yep it came off of her son's mask and they're all fucking shoddy we see Marge go into her room, and she drops the badge on the floor by accident. When she picks it up, she sees that there's like a chip or some circuitry on the back of it. Dun, dun, dun. We cut to Daniel call in the corner, and she says that someone must have mixed up the evidence envelopes because she can only find plastic and metal in the samples. <laughs> Daniel wants her to keep looking, and then he goes back to his room with his booze, and he finds Ellie in some lingerie that she somehow packed when... She didn't know they were staying in a hotel, <laughs> right? If you think about it, because there's the joke about we pack light because they had no luggage when the guy was checking them in. Yeah. Right? But she, her outfit would fit in her pocket. <laughs> that teddy would fit in her pocket. <laughs> she was planning on this. Once again, Tom Atkins does his thing. <laughs> Thrill me. Shit. As his wife is uh, in the other room. His real life wife. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, as they lay in bed cuddling after the deed is done. The Silver Shamrock commercial comes on the fucking radio, and Daniel's sick of it, along with the rest of us. Actually, I like the song, but Ellie comes back on Daniel for around whatever the fuck it is, <laughs> and he asks her if she ever gets tired. She says, no. We cut back to Marge's room, and she's about to go to bed, and she starts looking at the chip on the back of the emblem, and she tries to pick at it with a bobby pin, and a fucking Death Star laser comes out and hits her in the face. No, it's a fucking chopping mall laser. <laughs> it is. Uh, I'm not sure what it did exactly besides fuck her face up really bad and, and make bugs come out. Like, it's just like her lips, like, you know, like, I don't know. It's, I, it looks, the makeup was great, but like, it just doesn't make any sense what the laser did. Totally agree. I guess it made her decay. Yeah, fuck it. Back in the room where Ellie and Daniel are doing their thing, she thinks she hears something. Who cares? Next scene, you see Daniel getting awoken by a bunch of guys in lab coats taking Marge's body away. He goes up there to investigate, and Mr. Cochran shows up, and we're finally introduced to him. He says they're taking her to the factory for medical treatment. <laughs> Daniel hears them call the incident a misfire. Yeah, because the other isn't the other dude out there is like, oh, she's gonna get the best service there is in town. Yeah, Connell Cochran is, yeah. <laughs> At a factory. I know, right? The fuck. Saturday the 30th. Daniel calls the coroner again, and she says she cannot find anything to indicate that there was even a body in the fucking car. Daniel asks her to dig up anything she can about Connell Cochran. By the way, Daniel's a player because he's hitting on her. He's like set that up for when he gets back in town. <laughs> the camera pans out, and we see a bug on the desk where he gave her a call from, which I'm pretty sure is the front desk. Like He doesn't have a phone in his room. He has to keep going back in there. Yeah. 
We cut to the factory, and Daniel and Ellie confirm that her father did come there to pick up an order. Little Buddy's family shows up to see the factory, and we find out that the father won a tour of the factory from selling the most masks in the country. The family wants Daniel and Ellie to come in on the tour with them because Connell's like, oh, it's my friends from the hotel, right? Like, he doesn't think it's suspicious that they're at all. Yeah. Or does he? Well, that's some Willy Wonka shit right here. They get a tour of the whole facility where the masks are made, and then they see what is referred to as the Hall of Fame, which is nothing but novelties, toys, and pranks that uh, Connell Cochran invented over time before he started making the mask. Little Buddy wants a mask, but Connell will only let him have one that's gone through final processing and has a badge on it to let you know that it's okay. Daniel thinks the whole final processing story is bullshit, and he sees G-Men all over the facility standing around like robots. Yep. Like robots. <laughs> he grabs Ellie and says it's time to go and lets her know that the men in suits remind him of the man that killed her father. They see a garage open up outside and inside is Harry's car. They head back to the hotel and Ellie starts to pack. Pack what? I don't know because they didn't fucking have anything, but they're packing something. She goes back to put her 90 in her pocket. <laughs> Shit. And uh, Daniel's not sure whose jurisdiction the city falls under, but he's considering calling the Marines. <laughs> Some dudes with can-do attitudes. It fucking fits in every episode now. <laughs> he goes to the office to use the phone, and he keeps getting the operator, which I'm, I got to look it up, but I swear it's got to be Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay. Daniel heads back to the room, and he finds that Ellie's missing. He sees the men in suits outside, and he runs out the back window as they kick the front door in. As he's running through town, he sees one of their cars park at the factory, and they have Ellie, and they're pulling her out as the uh, garage door shuts because this town's very small, apparently. Yes. He continues to try to use the phone, but... Jamie Lee Curtis keeps telling him to get fucked. <laughs> Daniel decides to break into the factory and he goes inside looking for Ellie. He finds a weird robotic-like old lady knitting and questions her. <laughs> and her fucking head falls off because she's literally a robot. It's like one of those things you'd see at a museum, you know, like, uh, or an animatronic from like uh, Disney. Disney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's attacked by Dick fucking Warlock, who appears to not be able to be injured at first with several blows to the head. But with a stomach punch, he can apparently fuck the robots up enough to make them puke up all their OJ. <laughs> Do you know that's what they literally used? It was just orange juice they spit up out of their mouths. Okay. Like, yeah, uh, you know the the can of concentrated orange juice you have to dilute with water? Yeah. yeah. Dick Warlock just spit that shit up and Tom Atkins had it on his hand. Okay. Robot blood. But more goons come in and they capture Daniel and Cochran walks up and lets him know that he knows who he is and calls him by name and everything and they take Daniel and tell him that the next day should be interesting. Speaking of which, it cuts to Sunday the 31st, <laughs> Halloween, which I looked and uh, 1982, the dates lined up. Okay, cool. You know, a lot of movies fucked that up. Oh, yeah. They take Daniel deep into the facility down like a fucking like service elevator, right? Yeah. And Cochran tells them that making the insides was quick, but the exterior took a while because they're really just big masks if you think about it. That's what he says. And Dick Warlock's back in the elevator, so he apparently didn't kill him. He just fucking punched a hole in the stomach or something. It's a robot. How'd he kill it? They make it to the bottom floor where we see computers set up in a circle in the middle of the room and people chiseling parts of the Stonehenge rock that was missing. Cochran lets him know that it's an ancient sacrificial circle and they had a hard time getting it here <laughs> and he would not believe how they did it. I kind of want to know how, <laughs> but I like how they just fucking left it out. I know, right? Cochran shows him a hunk of the stone and lets him know that it has powerful magic inside of it. 
And he then shows Daniel that Ellie's strapped down in a room and that Marge died from the misfire. Cochran wants to show Daniel a demonstration, and we cut to little Buddy and his family being taken into a room that's set up like a fake living room. As the camera pans out, we can see that they're in test room A, which okay. makes me think there's more people being tested somewhere yep. near. Inside test room A, they think they're taking notes for a commercial or something, and Cochran gets them to roll the ad, and little Buddy sits down in front of the TV and puts his mask on like he was instructed by Tommy Lee Wallace. And as the commercial starts strobing lights, so does the badge on the back of his mask. He collapses to the ground. His mask starts to fall apart and bugs and snakes come out of his mouth. Mama faints on the floor and Papa is killed by the snakes in the room. I'm assuming Mama was too, right? <laughs> the cast said that the crickets that crawled out, there were like hundreds of them. And for yeah. some reason, they didn't shoot this last. <laughs> and the crickets were loose in the fucking warehouse the whole time. So, like, you had to listen to them chirping. That had to be a pain in the ass for sound. Yeah, even it. back then, uh, cricket wranglers, very expensive. They also said, I'm trying to, <laughs> I read two different things. I heard old paper factory and then old milk factory where they shot it. I thought cows were milk factories. I think they meant where they, like, packaged it. <laughs> oh, and okay. it. But either way, they said the, the fucking whole place stunk the whole time. Paper mill. Probably, yeah. Paper mills stink like ass. I saw paper mill in the documentary. I'm going to bring this up. So we purposely do not use like IMDb or Wikipedia for source material, right? Like we'll go back and read it afterwards. And if we see something cool, we'll go fact check it, right? So a lot of times we get stuff from behind the scenes videos, extras on a DVD. Josh likes his commentaries. commentaries. Sometimes it's just insights from watching it, interviews, whatever we can find. And sometimes you see shit on IMDb and it's true or mostly accurate. Something I noticed for this movie, like fucking IMDb is just like made up shit constantly <laughs> for the Halloween franchise. And I just have to assume it's like that going forward. Cause like the documentary, they said, I thought she said mill factory, like, like a paper mill. Oh, I thought right? you said mill factory. And, <laughs> and, and I thought I heard somebody else in the documentary say paper. And I'm like, okay, so it's stunk. And then like, a, it, it's milk, like all over TV, <laughs> right? I'm assuming they, they misunderstood the mill part. And Maybe. But, I meant to make a list of it. There's so many fucking things for every Halloween movie listed that I was just like, wrong, wrong. They just fucking listened to something and heard it wrong, you know, and it's just don't ever use IMDb for fact checking, guys. It's terrible. Well, that's what's crazy is like, uh, I don't remember. I was looking at for something we were researching and I went to look at uh, Wikipedia for a synopsis just to AB my synopsis I'd come with, come up with to see how long it was with words and stuff and make sure that I, you know, nailed some key points and was there anything I missed? And, uh, I don't remember what it was for, but it cited like an interview that said a, B, C, D. And I'm like, no, I've researched everything. They just talk about what interview is that? I know what interview that is. I've watched that interview and that is not what's fucking said in that <laughs> interview. <laughs> but yeah, that shit's fucking crazy. But Daniel watches everything that's going on in test room a, and he's fucking horrified. They go and they lock him up in like a little fucking cell. We start seeing that kids all over the country are last minute buying their mask. And we hear that there's a giveaway after the commercial tonight and that all the kids should wear their mask when they watch it. It's almost time. We go back to the coroner's office and she tries to call Daniel at the hotel but couldn't get through to him. She calls someone named Roger because she's like the assistant coroner, right? Yeah. Like he was just going through hers. He was banging her. And... uh <laughs> She wants him to come look at what she found. She thinks it's not a car part that she found, but something else. While she's on the phone, one of the silver shamrock robots comes in, gets a power drill, puts his Jalo gloves on, 
She figures out what's going on right as the man gets in there and kills her. So yep. she figured out they're robots at the very last second. So 7.30 p.m., Santa Mira. I think the commercial comes on at 8. So, like, we're getting, you know, like, we're getting close. We're in the factory, and Cochran's explaining that Halloween is an ancient day when the veil is thin, and there has not been a sacrifice made in 3,000 years, and it's time for them to do it for their witchcraft. It's how they draw their power. He says that the planets are in perfect alignment, and it's time again. So I guess it's been 3,000 years since whatever alignment. Now, I'm glad they don't try to explain it. They're just planet alignment. Yeah. He tells Daniel to enjoy the horathon and puts a mask on him and turns on the TV, and it's the OG Halloween again. So Daniel's, like, tied up in a chair with one of the silver shamrock masks on, watching fucking Halloween on TV. Cochran goes to the control room to prep for the sacrifice, and we see that Daniel kicks the TV, breaking the screen so he doesn't have to see the commercial, and he uses a shard of the TV glass to cut himself free. Shit wouldn't have worked with the LED TV. <laughs> um, he then breaks the security camera in the room and then sneaks out through the air ducts. Well, he throws the mask over the security camera. Is that what he did? Okay. Yeah. I just remember it goes black in the control room. They're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Daniel makes it out of the facility and he runs around like ninja until he can get back in the area where Ellie's held. See, you're seeing ninjas too. <laughs> He's very sneaky. I like how he's like diving in the bushes and shit because they're looking for him. He makes it to a phone and he calls Linda and he tells him to throw away his kid's mask. She thinks he's fucking drunk and hangs up on him. So his kids are going to fucking die. Yep. It's terrible. He makes it to Ellie's room and he sets her free and Cochran was expecting this. He sees him on the camera, and he sends all the henchmen to go stop him. They manage to sneak past all the robots, and Dino manages to sneak all the way into the control room, and he starts fucking hitting buttons at random on the control panel, and nobody sees him. And he starts yeah. the commercial on all the TVs that are in a circle, and he runs off and grabs a bag of badges that are supposed to go on the mask. Shouldn't those have been in the final processing room? You would think so, but they're heavily unorganized. I mean, something earlier when they show the final inspection, it's like, this hallway down to these guarded doors. <laughs> like, don't come here. Trade secrets. <laughs> trade secrets. He says trade secrets there. And then later when they see Harry's oh, car, yeah. Ellie tries to run up to the car and the and Buddy's family looks around and he goes, trade secrets. <laughs> but Daniel makes it to the top floor with his box of badges and he dumps them off the ledge all over the the people and the robots downstairs in the control room, which is pretty fucking smart. Yeah. And since the commercial's playing, all of the badges activate and fucking shoot lasers and kill all of them. <laughs> and uh, somehow Connell's untouched. Yeah. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> we see that the piece of Stonehenge starts to reactivate to either the time of night or the commercial playing. I'm not sure. And the ring of computers start to have a glowing ring spinning around them. And it's cheesy 82 computer generated effects but it's really cool like the idea of it like yeah i like how it's like the ring like stonehenge recreated with the tvs and then the pieces of the stone and then the technology and the witchcraft like fucking never yeah. had a cool idea with it and they gave you just enough of it that they didn't try to explain all the way it's like here this is what it is yeah you just see it starts <laughs> literally it starts spinning and a laser shoots out of stonehenge into cochran who smiles and he like turns into like negus god he goes like black and white grayscale <laughs> And he fades out of existence, and the laser shoots into the ring. And he's just gone. They don't fucking explain where he went. Well, he was teleported into another Halloween timeline. Mm, I want to see that one. <laughs> but after all this, Daniel and Ellie make it out of the factory, speed away in a car. Daniel's trying to figure out what to do to stop all of this, and Ellie stares into space, just randomly ignoring him until she fucking attacks him. Daniel survives the attack and crashes the car into a tree. 
He climbs out and he walks to Ellie's side of the door and he sees her robot arm dangling from the fucking uh, oh shit bar or the handle or something. And she gets the jump on him with her other arm and uh, he pulls a tire iron out of the trunk because it's popped from the wreck and beats the shit out of her with it and tries to kill her with it. Daniel gets into the car and he's fucking attacked by the arm, which is still alive. It's very like evil deadish. Yes. And uh, he gets out of the car and he chunks the arm. And I really wanted some sort of Tom Atkins one-liner <laughs> from, I mean, honestly, he's serious in a lot of the movies, but like, I always want Night of the Creeps yeah. fucking one-liners from him. And um, he checks his watch, and then he's attacked by the headless one-armed fucking body until it just kills over. And uh, honestly, at this point, I was really hoping the robot was gone because it was ridiculous with the uh, supposedly dead killer coming back for yeah. one scare. Doesn't matter if it's an arm, fucking pinky <laughs> toe body. I mean, they're all coming. It was a little much. Dano makes it to the gas station from the beginning and he starts to call the TV networks and he's trying to get them to take the commercial <laughs> off the air. <laughs> Some kids come into the store with their mask on and we see the commercial go off the air. They change the channel and we see that it's on another channel and it gets shut off from that one. And they go to the third channel because there was only three channels back then. Yeah. And the commercial's still on. He starts begging for him to stop it on the third channel. Credits roll. Yeah. The end. Not a Jesse joke. And that last bit right there, it's so funny because it's like, hi, director of TVs. Okay. Turn off that channel. No, no, no. Turn off the other channel. Like. Come on, who's he on the phone with having that kind of pull? That's the only thing that's like, what? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's like, what? But that part really bugs me. Yeah. It's still fun. Originally, Tommy Lee Wallace had the sound of children around the world screaming and dying as it faded to the credits. That would have been awesome. But they decided to drop it. The studio did. They didn't like it. There's a novelization of the movie, which I want to get my hands on. It's, it's supposed to be really good. Okay. But in the end of the book, it says that all the children in the world were in the mass died from the commercial. Okay. So he failed. The good guys did not win in this movie. That hardly ever happens. The hero who saved no one. All in all, it's a fucking fun 80s horror movie. It is. And you could have literally just called it Season of the Witch. And it could have been another The Fog. John Carpenter, Deborah Hill worked on it. You know, Tommy Lee Wallace directed it. Let her rip. And I guess it's important to say, I don't remember who they got to write the movie, but Tommy Lee Wallace didn't like it. Okay. So then he got John Carpenter to write the script. Okay. And then he called John and said, I don't like your script. I'm throwing it away. <laughs> so I was like, what the fuck? And then he wrote his own script. I meant to say that at the uh, beginning. So it's pretty okay. funny. I mean, there were, I'm sure there were pieces kept because Deborah witchcraft technology from the beginning. Yeah. She's got, she had a lot of good ideas throughout this and she was a very, you know, successful producer throughout her career until she unfortunately passed away of cancer. But I think it's funny that you fucking John, I don't want your script. It's shit. <laughs> and he did. I'd have to look and see what else Tommy Lee Wallace did besides this movie as director yeah. and writer. But I mean, he did a fantastic job. This movie honestly encompasses the eighties horror vibe more than just about any early eighties movie to me. It does in a lot of ways, and like the joke that's been met, made in a vacuum, it's fine. It shouldn't have Halloween in the title. Um, and it's sci-fi. You know, you've got it's, it's horror, it's technology, it's witchcraft, it's a little bit of sci-fi with the, the androids and everything. A lot of badass synth. Yeah, and it just, it, 
and the intro, which is just a phenomenal intro. I was watching the intro with the wife, and I literally said, is this going to be my favorite movie out of all these? Because we binged everything over a weekend. Right. And this is one of the many I hadn't ever seen. But now, other people probably already said this. In watching it, it made me wonder if maybe some point in the writing process, they're like, you know, this is an anthology, but we're going to tie it back to Michael Myers anyway. And it made me wonder if they were trying to do Michael Myers as a kid may have been the victim of some sort of ceremony, not necessarily the mask, but you get what I'm saying? Because right. in this, it kills all the kids. Maybe there had been a previous attempt to create killers and someone had tried. My brain may have just connected those dots or if somebody was trying to leave that there. I don't think they they were doing that necessarily because you got to think this is the crew that killed him in two on purpose oh, I know. and they were done with it. But if you think about it, it was Celtic witches from Ireland and it's a Celtic curse. And by the time you get to four, five and six. So it really made me wonder, or it may just be four, five and six pulling from so many yes. things to make it all feel like it comes together. Because um, we said regularly the the guy that wrote four was a fan. Yeah. So, I mean, he's pulling shit and putting it in the movie. Yeah, and it's it's still, it's it's one of the ones that I can call a fun ride. I think it would have been even crazier to hear the kids screaming right. during the credits. It would have made it, it would have left you feeling creepy right? instead of just being like, oh, okay, well, that was fun. I think it would have been cool if they would have made Halloween colon Season of the Witch, Halloween colon this, like a new one every year. Yeah. And you know, that was, we always talk about the rumors you heard in the 80s and 90s as a kid, as a horror fan that just ended up not being true remember they used to always say it was supposed to be halloween colon the babysitter murders that was what we always heard as a kid yeah and then you got season of the witch and they just decided not to do it which that's a bit of it's true a bit of it's not (laughs) but i think it would have been cool to do the anthology idea i also think it would have been cool for jamie to be the killer after four like i mean these are not the same timeline or anything yeah but there were cool ideas to do this franchise without the shape and mustafa just wouldn't have it it's like I think we've said this before in out of these three episodes. Mustafa Akkad with Mikey and fucking Robert Shea with Freddy Krueger. Like that's just I see so many parallels between the two. A lot of the big horror franchises that like just really held on to something, we haven't covered it yet, but fucking the Hellraiser series. Yeah. Could it just been different symbiotes with something else? You know what I mean? Like a different kind of demon. It didn't just have to be the same thing over and over again. It's like, yes, you made these awesome fucking bad guys, but kill them and make a new one. Yeah. Expand on it. It's not, don't be afraid to expand on it. You know, James Bond movies have been doing it for years. This is true. We just need a new villain. That's it. We just need a new James Bond. <laughs> we just need it. We do that too. I do want to take a step back a little bit. Silver Shamrock. Yes. So the wife has a Silver Shamrock shirt. And she usually wears like horror t-shirts. She works in a professional environment and they're pretty casual Friday type thing. And she sees what she can get away with because some of the stuff is abstract enough with horror t-shirts that nobody knows. Right. Well, she wears this to work. And I mean, I mean, season of the witch is pretty fucking abstract. Yeah. Well, it's just the silver shamrock logo on a green shirt. And people are coming up to her at work all day going, I didn't know you were a Boston Celtics fan. (laughs) (laughs) And that, it breaks my heart to a certain extent because she's worn a Camp Crystal Lake shirt to work and had people ask and it's like, is that where you camp? Like, <laughs> totally oblivious, which is just wild. Anyways, just want to throw that in there. The other thing we have to quickly mention is the new Halloween movies. The yep. new timeline. Halloween 2018 coming after Halloween 78. And we got 
Halloween kills next year, I think. And then Halloween ends after that. The franchise went in a cool direction. The only thing weird I think about it is the fact that it was like a 40 year gap, but that's what they had to do because the actors of age, but they got John Carpenter back as executive producer. They got John Carpenter back doing the fucking score, right? I heard Danny McBride was going to be writing a Halloween movie and I about shit myself because I'm like, this is going to be bad. But him and David Gordon Green wrote a good slasher movie, a good Halloween movie, yeah, a good shape movie. And it really embodied the, I'm just a crazy fucking serial killer and I'm going to kill people. Yeah, it's all right. And after, and I don't say that to dog it. Like, right. you know, it's not, it's not in my vein and I'm, I'm, it's part of my problem. I'm judgmental and I'm analytical when I'm watching these movies. And so I have a hard time just having a good time. Um, but after going back and watching the franchise and yeah. thinking back to the two times that I've seen the 2018 and how much stuff they pulled from now, I want to watch 2018 again right. and see what all I missed. Um, and I'm definitely, I'm intrigued to see the sequels, the new, new sequels in the new, new timeline. And like all the other interviews and stories said when this movie actually got greenlit and was for sure going to come out is where are the other ones is, are we going to see a new reboot, new return, new ideas on, of course, it's specifically the other two of the big three or anything else. Cause you know, like Hellraiser, you already brought up, like you talk about something that declined fast after the right. first two. Um, I don't know. Can we get a revitalization and at the same time, continue to get some new blood, like what we see that's fixing to be coming with, uh, James Wan. He's making a fucking Jollo flick. And there you go. I said on the James Wan episode, I, I would love to see him make a slasher movie. For the most part, I'm going to get to hard R directed by James Wan. It's fucking awesome. I think with Blumhouse, I know that, I mean, it, it sounds like a fucking work for the guys. I don't, <laughs> they should make good movies. The Halloween reboot. We'll, we'll have to see how the sequels go, right? Yeah. If they actually continue the vibe and presence, it'll be fucking awesome. And if they actually have the fucking balls to kill them off at the end and Halloween ends, yeah. I will fucking give a standing ovation. I love the shape. He's my favorite fucking horror icon. I will applaud if they fucking kill his ass finally. But like they could do Hellraiser. They could do Nightmare on Elm Street. It would probably be pretty fucking good. Use James Wan. Use Mike Flanagan. Yeah. Actually, there's lots of new young directors coming out right now that only have a couple movies exactly. that we've been looking over to, to cover some episodes. There's plenty of them that can make some pretty fucking visceral remakes of these movies. It's a franchise that they've been making movies of for 40 years. Yeah. It's strong. Everybody fucking knows it. I have lots of uh, fucking Halloween Michael Myers t-shirts. I have my Haddonfield Slashers hat. Everybody always recognized the shit. You know, I mean, like, it, it's better or worse on some of the movies. People always remember the good, though. All right, so as I watched all the movies back-to-back -back while taking notes, I wanted to kind of go over my favorite shapes. I like triangles. <laughs> Shit, there we go with the shapes again. So Nick Castle, all-time favorite for me, number one, right? From number one. My number two, I'm pretty sure, is Chris Durand from H2O. Okay. He's also Ghostface, but like he had the setup and the, the head turn and the walk. It was the second-best walk by far. My third, Don Shanks. From, was it just five that he did? I think so. I'd have to check because we go, the yeah, because, farm implements. because we go Wilbur, not Wilbur, Wilbur. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's all I remember. All right, so Nick Castle was in one, right? Dick Warlock was in two. Yep. Nobody was in three. Yeah, there was no Mikey in three. We got the Wilbur walk in four. Yep. We got Shanks in five. 
Then the return of the Wilbur Walk. <laughs> return of the Wil- Wilbur Walk in six. Chris Durand in seven. And Brad Lurie, the Canadian, in eight, which, I don't know, there's just not enough going on for me to gauge it. There's a reason I, I put him in my notes as dude in Michael Myers' mask. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say that, funny story, Dick Warlock said that when he was on set filming two, he started doing his first scene and he was walking and moving and, and he asked Deborah Hill, how did I do? I know the walk's very important. And she's like, uh, you're moving too fast. You need to move slower. And then that's what he always gets made fun of is fucking being so slow. Yep. And, uh, after the movie came out, Deborah Hill's like, I don't know. You just fucking move too slow. I hate it. I'm a, <laughs> safe. And he was like, I think she tried to sabotage me. Yeah. And I think, I want to say I saw two different interviews with him, one before she passed and one after she passed. And one he's like, she was there. I don't know why she's bitching about it now. And there's another one's <laughs> like, um, I really wish she would have said something to me on set and maybe we could have made it work better. And I'm like, man, that's <laughs> fucked up right there. So do you have any preferences on like which one came off as creepier or I'm on okay, I'm 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 an outsider, so to speak, on this one just because this was never my jam, so I've never I don't regularly watch these movies and analyze it that way. Right. You've always heard me talk about like, oh, the walk and the stairs and stuff. So I didn't know if like maybe it put it in your head to pay attention on this one. There's a certain charm in the first one is the best way for me to put it because there's some things that I'm just like, "Eh," but it it still works. Um, Coming off all these fucking interviews and shit. I just like Dick Warlock as a person. Yeah. And I've said it several times. I love that fucking name. Um, I mean, he was cool in the interviews. Don Shanks interviews really fucking well. And uh, honestly, he makes me think of Kane Hodder. Like when you see the interviews and he's talking about, I set up this scene like this. Yeah. I chose these weapons. Like it's the same kind of style. So I really like him, like from that point of view as well. And Wilbur seems like a nice dude. I just make fun of him because he's like, I called it the Wilbur walk. <laughs> you know, and I, I couldn't help myself. I know. Um, but no, probably Nick Castle for you know, OG iconic. If we didn't have that, we wouldn't have anything. And then probably, uh, who is it in H2O? Chris Duran. Um, probably straight to H2O. And then the rest of them are a wash for me. Yeah. Except Dick Warlock's name is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I really like James Jude Courtney in, in oh, 2018. In the, the new, yeah. new. And, but here's the thing. Nick Castle was brought back for some of the scenes in that movie. But they've, I've never seen anything that said which ones. I'm sure if I watched uh, director's commentary or something, maybe it says it. Yeah. But there's like, you know, the the tracking shot in 2018, that badass tracking shot all the way down the street and the shed, the way he turns his head. It's fucking awesome. So I don't know which one of them did it, but like he's pretty high on the list. But I don't know. It's just It's just funny that this character, the shape, like the walk and the stairs and the head turns were a thing of their own. And, you know, fans kind of really get hung up on that kind of shit. And I'm one of them, but I don't know. I thought it was just kind of fun. Well, it all goes back to the very first episode of this podcast when we started with the history of the slashers and we talk about what a slasher had to be. And, you know, something that I went on a tear about is, you know, the mystery. Um, you don't have to be a larger than life character and fucking spoon feed the why. Um, and at least in the beginning, um, Michael Myers totally embodied that is all you knew. And I'm going to jokingly say this again is that that kid was pure dag nasty evil. Right. And that's all you got out of it. And we didn't need any more. And that's what made that character work. And that's what made that character unique. Right. And he had to convey all of it with no dialogue. Yeah. There was no one liners. I mean, Jason doesn't talk either, but like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, some, no, that walk, that head tilt when they were inventing the slasher, you know, whatever it would be. 
what's my motivation, John? Your motivation is to walk from one end of the street to the fucking other. You know what I mean? <laughs> we got that cool, creepy walk because they weren't trying. He and, just did it. And that's what happened. And to go, uh, so to bring up Evil Dead again, you know, this is not the movie we set out to make more so in Evil Dead 2 than in the original Evil Dead. But it wasn't, that thought was never put into it. It's just like, we have to get this process done. What happens next? This is what happens next in one of these movies. <laughs> never knowing that it was going to be picked apart and analyzed and beloved for what it never even knew it was going to be. Last thing I want to say on it, as far as I know, James Jude Courtney is the shape in Halloween kills and Halloween ends. Okay. They just need to change the title of that second fucking movie. Cause that's, that's just bad. All I think is machete <laughs> kills and I've said it before and I know I'm saying it again. I like Halloween ends though, but I, yeah, it'd be really cool to see one shape, you know, go through a set of movies like that made by the same people. But that's it for the Halloween franchise. I'm glad we finally got to fucking do it, but I'm sad to see it go. <laughs> we'll revisit the franchise once again when the modern trilogy is complete. At least I hope we're still doing this, Josh. Well, that's the plan. I hope you all have a great Halloween, and you'll have to tune in on the next episode where we cover director Jeremy Sonier's body of work. Fuck this whole scene. Everybody dies. Thank you guys for the downloads. Please rate and review wherever you download. Please keep spreading the word. Follow us at SBIS Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Send us any questions or comments to sbispodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. Please, for God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. You've got us. Please stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Turn it off. Stop it. 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 Stop it.